just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. Do not forget, Bloke is going on a live tour in the country for the first four weeks of the NRL season. We're going to Armadale, we're going to Wagga, we're going to Rockhampton, and we're going to Cairns. It's myself, it's Maddie the Waterboy, unfortunately. It's also Guru and Timmy, and we'll be talking all things rugby league, a live show, and then we get getting in the crowd, having some beers. So set aside that if you live in any of those areas, set aside the Friday, huge live show, country tour, powered by Ringers Western. We'll also be doing a Ringers Western collaboration. So like, it's just so much stuff going on during that live tour, guys. So set aside the time. We cannot wait to get out and uh, meet the, the great country folk of Australia. But I'm here with the great James Magnuson. How you going, brother? Good, Kempi. Mate, when you speak Friday night in the country, that's fight night. Oh, really? Friday night in the country. I grew up in, I grew up in Port Macquarie. Yeah. Sad to hear you're not going to Port Macquarie, but Friday night is just blue city. <laughs> <laughs> the rum and cokes and the blues. That's, mate, what, that's what happens in the country, mate. Start, so just be wary. I want to just start fucking boxing training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Underhooks. <laughs> Could you imagine if I went out and got towed up? Oh. oh. Like, I come all the way out here to say hi and I got bashed just for it. send Guru oh. in. <laughs> yeah, the big dog. Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> um, mate, how are you going? Obviously, you know, we work at S the end together which is great uh how you going at the moment yeah really good it's been what since football season so like probably four or five months since mm. i've seen you yeah you looking stream mate i've lost what's the numbers the numbers are big the numbers yeah. are big so i i've lost i've lost like on the scale about 12 kilos yeah but fat wise fat i reckon i would have lost maybe 15 like Nice. Eight, maybe even 70. How far off uh, playing weight are you? Still quite a while. Like, so yeah, I'm about yeah. 93, 92 yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, my playing weight, oh, my playing weight at this age would probably be about 87. 80. Yeah. Because okay. as you get old, obviously, it's harder and to it's get basic, down. And it's so hard to keep weight. Like, I was the same in swimming. When I'm swimming 30 hours a week, yeah. you're on your feet running 30 hours a week. It's hard to keep muscle mass Absolutely. on. Absolutely. So, like, yeah. in retirement, it's easier to bulk up a yep. bit. Well, that's the good thing about like with footy, it's it's the running, but it's also the physical, like the contact, yeah, defensive yeah, drills, because yeah, yeah. you're breaking down. Like you might go do the craziest weight sesh, and then yeah. an hour later you're doing the craziest contact sesh ever. So you've just broken all your muscles. Like it's just yeah. almost not pointless, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but mate, how's it been? Have you been so? How long? So you've been at SEN for two years now. Yeah, two one years. Year. Now? One year. One year. One year. Yeah, and yeah. Is, is this your first foray into radio? Yeah, first like permanent gig on radio. So mm. like I've done bits and pieces around the Olympics, com games, stuff like that. Mm. Always loved it. Uh, but first like regular segment. And to be honest, like rugby league was my first love mm. when it came to sport. And so I feel so much more comfortable talking about rugby league than swimming. No way. When I go on and do a, a swimming show, like let's say the Olympics is on and I go, I've got a week coming up of TV or radio. Like yeah. I'm going off researching what is the men's breaststroke record or like what are the women's 100 freestyle yep. times or whatever because i don't know it no way. i was always on swim teams and always there but i was doing my like i was competing and doing my own thing mm. i didn't watch a lot of swimming you weren't like a student of swimming kind of thing never yeah never a student like some of my mates can like rattle off my swimming mates can rattle off like records and times and all this stuff I was never a student of the sport. Mm. Whereas rugby league, I don't have to do a second of research. I already watch every game. Yep. I already, already listen to like you guys, Hello Sport. Like yep. I listen to all the content. 
I watch all the, the shows, Maddie John's show, all that stuff. Yeah. So my research is like my pastime anyway. Yeah. So I find rugby league commentary and I guess talkback shows so yeah. easy. That's, uh, that's really interesting. It's, it's similar to a degree where I still feel more comfortable with a soccer ball at my feet than a footy in my hands, even yeah. though obviously I ended up playing footy. So I, I'm feeling you in regards to that. Um, so who, who was your team? Who was your team growing up? Bulldogs, the always the doggies, okay. yeah. So my old man, so I'm from Port Macquarie, but my old man was born in the Bankstown area. Okay. Uh, born and bred, and he played a lot of juniors and stuff um, in the area. So he was a Bulldogs fan, like absolute tragic, moved up to up North Coast Way and met my mum and had mm. me up there. So, but from the moment I could walk or talk, I was a doggies man. Yep. Um, and it's been a roller coaster because my whole childhood, we were a juggernaut. Like early yeah. 2000s Bulldogs, talking Sunnyville, Willie Dogs Mason. Of kind Dogs of thing. War. Yeah. And then suddenly like I finished school and then slim pickings for the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> what, as a massive Doggies fan, how do Because it, it is quite a polarising situation. What are your thoughts on the Desi, Hazzy, Desi Hasler saga? Because there's some that say you are still recovering and there are yeah. some that say it was more the admin that had that issue. You know, it's, it's, so it's really interesting. So I followed the Bulldogs the whole time, went through their successful period. And then when I moved down to Sydney, started going to games and obviously had my swimming career and stuff happening. Mm. The club brought me in for different stuff. Um, mm. So like, you know, I went in, met Desi, met the players, met the ad administration. Todd Greenberg was there at the time, yep. who is, you know, a beast of sports admin. Yeah. And I thought it was all super impressive. You know, I, I knew a bunch of the staff on Des's high performance team. Um, I used the same mindset coach as the Bulldogs used, who was Des Hasler's right hand man yep. throughout his whole career. And I, I thought it was a great setup and I thought what they d were doing was great. But in, in hindsight, having spoken to blokes like Willie Mason, who's been in and around the club, you know, for the best part of his life, yeah. I think they did lose a little bit of identity around that. Okay. People say we lost the Dogs of War, but when you think the grand finals we made, we had James Graham, Sam Cassiano, Greg Eastwood, like they still were Josh Dogs Reynolds. of War, Josh really. There? Josh Reynolds, yeah. Oh, they mate, they the still grub. were Dogs of yeah, War. Yeah. What they probably lost was the juniors. Mm. They weren't bringing through players like Bulldogs had in the past. Yeah. And that's what I think's taken a little while to recover from. But mm. was it Desi's fault? I don't think so. I remember going to games between 2012 to 2014 with people had huge banners saying Des Hasler is our saviour and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So while ever we were successful, it wasn't Des Hasler's fault. Yeah. It wasn't until the success left. Yeah. That, and, and Des took us to two grand finals. I think we missed one year of the semis and Des was booted. I think, and he come like ninth or something. Yeah. Or eighth or Which whatever Which now he'd killed to come yeah, ninth. No, 100%. <laughs> so Des copped a pretty stiff, um, stiff run there. And same as he did at Manly, right? Like for whatever reason, Des is polarizing and Des does things Des's way. Yep. But, it works. Des's way works. Yeah. Whatever you think about him as a person, I don't care. Yeah. His coaching tactics and style yep. is successful. It's, uh, that's the, it's a good point in regards to, I have the same feeling in, with Des, like, okay, is he the perfect man? Obviously not, no yeah. one is. Yeah. And, you know, could have been, been better with juniors or whatever, but to like, just look at him and say, he's the reason juniors weren't brought through. It's like, come on, man, there's whole teams that take care of the development. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the Manly situation, what I was surprised with the Manly situation was that they knew what Des was like. Yep. So when they come out and kind of basically said that he was hard to work with, it's like, I don't think Desi's changed. He's always <laughs> been hard to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's in, I'd, yeah, I'd love, to be honest, it's, it's one of the periods of time 
that I think a little doco would be really good on. Really be- interesting. Because yeah. it was so dramatic. Like, I, I think, remember after it happened, and there was some pundit saying, like, what Desi's done was criminal. Mm. So it was dramatic. It's So I spoke to Willie about it, and uh, he's back at the club now, mm. coaching and yep. doing all that stuff. And he said, Matt, I, I didn't feel comfortable or welcome coming back yeah, wow. to the club and being okay. around the players. I was like, what an interesting time in their, in yeah. their history, right? And... Yep. and Interestingly enough about him, he's played all around. He played rugby in France. He's been yeah. to, he's one of the true journeymen, but yeah. he identifies as a bulldog. Yeah. When you talk about his rugby league career, he's like, yeah, I'm a bulldog. That afro. Yeah, <laughs> the so iconic good. afro. And he didn't feel comfortable around the club. So something happened there. Something went wrong. Whether that's Dez's fault, can't be solely Dez's fault. Like yeah. He doesn't run the head office. Yeah. He doesn't decide whether Willie Mason feels comfortable walking in the front doors at Belmore, right? Mm, mm. And whatever changed, obviously Gus welcomed everyone with open arms, but I think also Aaron Warburton, mm. when he came back to the club, he had a big focus on bringing back ex-players. So what role has he played? He's Aaron? the CEO okay, of the Bulldogs. Yeah, yep. So he was, uh, when I first moved to Sydney, Aaron Warburton must only be 36, 37 now. He's yeah. probably, the, you have to be the youngest CEO. Yep. He'd be NRL for sure yeah, yeah yeah so when I first moved to Sydney he was doing uh like PR stuff or whatever for the Bulldogs like so he'd say come, do you want to come to this event come to the chairman's lounge or whatever and yeah. he'd welcome you and say come to your seat and like this is wow he was like the the hospo guy now he's CEO he's CEO so he's worked his way up through the entire yeah so he's a bulldog at heart yeah and he's probably seen some of that stuff happening so he's very in tune with it and yeah. I think he Along with Gus, along with Cameron Serrato, but remember, like, there's one guy employing all these people. Yeah. That's the CEO, Absolutely. and that's Aaron Warburton. So I think he probably doesn't get the limelight, but I think he's a big part in what's mm. happened at the Bulldogs. And another, I've spoken about it a bit, is, is the Lawney group coming on board. Oh, huge. And, and he would have probably had a big, yeah. a big part of that. I'm pretty sure he did that deal. Yeah, yeah. which is like... Uh, it, Although, yeah, their salary caps everything, and I'm not implying anything here, but their salary caps everything, but it is so good to have a kind of like a head figure that's financially quite powerful backing a club. Yeah. It, it gives the club confidence financially. Yeah. Again, not to do with the salary cap, but just the club as a whole to put things in place to go forward. Whereas you look at some of the, the clubs that struggle, it's do they have a, a powerful backing owner or, you know, per person that kind of like is a director or whatever it is kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, salary cap's interesting, right? Because there's your salary. Mm. But there's everything around your salary. Like if you said to me, we'll pay you double what you're being paid by Australia to go and swim and live in Russia, live in Moscow. Mm. I'm not going because yeah. I don't want to live in Moscow. It's got a bad reputation over there. Yeah. Like I don't know what the conditions are like yep. and I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that you pay me double. I'm going to stay in, I'm going to stay in Sydney, mm. one of the greatest cities in the world, yeah. and swim here. Mm. It's the same in rugby league. Like... Do you want to go and play for the Roosters or do you want to go and play for the West Tigers? Mm. Tigers would offer you more money, but there's the reputation, there's the place on the ladder, there's the surrounds of the club, mm. and then there's the Roosters. Yeah. Uh, they're successful. It's a nice place to live. The reputation's great. Uncle Nick looks after you in life after footy. Mm. So the salary cap, it will never be perfect. Mm but it's not an even playing field. Mm. And what's, what Gus has done, what Aaron Warburton's done, what the Laundy Group's done, is just bring us up level playing field with some of those big clubs. Yeah. We're not necessarily spending more on the, on the salary cap. None at all. What we're doing is we're providing an environment that people want to come to. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. Like, 
$9 million spent by the Roosters is not the same as $9 no. million spent by the Warriors or yeah. the Tigers or whatever. Yeah. And the argument could be, well, the Roosters have earned that through winning comps yep. and winning games and creating a good environment. But yep. it's still, it still is – it's almost like a, a self-perpetuating cycle of, like, the worst get worse, the best get better, except yeah. the Broncos far out with all the money <laughs> in the world. We can't keep going for it. Anyway, um, but back to yourself, mate. So yeah. you grew up – did you say Port Macquarie? Port Macquarie. Did you live there until you were like 16 and then moved to Sydney or? 18. 18. Yeah, so okay. I finished school up there. Yeah. Um, and then moved to Sydney when I was 18. Mm. Um, as is the way in like a lot of country towns, there's not a lot of pathways for anything. Mm. Sport, academics, yeah. jobs, whatever. So um, I started thinking probably, you know, around 16, 17, what am I going to do? Where am I going to move? And, you know, my parents kind of encouraged that. Like, we don't want you to stay in Port Macquarie beyond school because yeah. there's not a lot of job, job opportunities. Yeah. There aren't any universities. Mm. And if you want to have a crack at swimming, there's not the facilities or the coaches available. Mm. And so that, that's really interesting because... So were you winning, you know, state titles from Port Macquarie, just training... Yeah, there or yeah. so I had up? some really interesting times where so I, I got good at swimming around 16. Mm. Uh, I grew, I filled out a bit um, and I put a lot more focus into it. So by 16, I was training like nine sessions a week in the pool, lifting weights two, three times a week, wow. um, eating properly, making sacrifices like not going to parties or, mm. you know, all, all the sacrifices. They call them sacrifices. They're not sacrifices. No, no. Like I think people sacrifice by going to parties while I was in Barcelona swimming and enjoying myself. Yeah. Like what, who really sacrificed? And like, what, did, like, do they remember that party when they were 16? Because <laughs> yeah. I remember winning state titles. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? yeah, like, yeah. To yeah. me, it's like my most proudest moment. So yeah. I agree with you. And also the reward that we eventually get yeah. Is, is worth it. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. It's a, it's a really yeah. good point in regards to sacrifice. Yeah. So I don't see it as a sacrifice. But so in Port Macquarie, the pool was open between uh, September and March or mm. April. Mm. Then it was closed all winter. So I always swam in summer, rugby league in winter. Okay. And the two, the two coexisted quite nicely because I wanted to stay in shape yeah. in, uh, in winter. And I think playing a contact sport or, or probably a combat sport would mm. be the same. Um, gives you a certain um, level of toughness mm. and, and exposes you to uh, a type of resilience that you might not get in a, in a normal sport. Yeah. Um, to be able to like, to, to develop the skill of getting hit or getting hurt and hopping back up and not showing it yeah. and cracking on, I think is a really good life skill. <coughs> Something that I think differentiated me from a lot of other swimmers in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm. Um, so when I was 16, I started getting pretty good I won the, I started winning nationals. So I won state, won nationals, all happened in the same year. When oh, I was wow. 16. So win my first state champs, win my first nationals. So, so when you were 15, how far did you go when you were 15? I was probably like finals at nationals. Okay. But when I was, I made my first state at 13. Yep. Before that, nothing. Yeah. Like, not that good. 13 made it, like might've got like 50th yeah, in okay. state or whatever. Like wasn't that good, but mm. just made that like nice little progression yep. towards 16 kept growing, kept developing, kept training super hard. Uh, so 16, I, I make the Australian junior team. Mm. 
go away on a swim team and that and that we're going to race against uh new zealand mm. which is easy like tell them anyway <laughs> but <laughs> there's one thing new zealand's not good at is swimming, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so we go to race uh new zealand and it's in july mm. and so our pool closed in march april so i haven't <laughs> swum a lap in oh God. Three four months, no and I get to racing uh, for my first time racing for Australia, and I haven't swum a lap oh in months, and I'm not swimming the fastest, <laughs> and the coaches are like blowing up at me, saying like you're not going to get picked on another junior team, like mm. you know this is no good. Wow. And I was I was a sprinter, and they're like we're going to push you out to doing 200 freestyle as well, mm. which is a stretch at the best of times. Yep. When I haven't swum a lap in months, oh so I like. I wasn't, I wasn't performing that well at this meet. And they were basically saying like, you know, this is terrible. Like you're not, you're not representing yourself well. Yeah. I had literally no choice. Yeah. There was nowhere within an hour's drive of Port Macquarie where I could have trained if yeah. I wanted to train. Yeah. So it's like, as a guy from the country, what are you meant to do? And mm. then there was another Australian, they picked the youth Olympics team as well. Mm. I come first at nationals mm. in the 100 freestyle. They pick second, third, fourth and fifth to go to the junior Olympics and leave me off the team. No way. And that was just a product of coming from a country town. You're out of sight, out of mind. You don't have the facilities. Yeah. You don't have the connections. Mm. Like I didn't know anyone in the swimming world. My parents yeah. don't come from a swimming background. Mm. So Junior Olympics, when I was 16, they picked second through fifth and leave the gold medalist off the team. No way. Yeah. And so what was their reasoning? They, did they even give you any? Didn't give me a reasoning. No. Just didn't get didn't to even like speak it. to me. Yeah. I only, I only heard about it through um, seeing the results and stuff. I was like, oh, Youth Olympics are on and I'm uh, That I'm is there. absolutely wild. Wild. Like, it's wild. Yeah. Like, you could have been so crushed from that that you said, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm done with. I'm going footy. I'm going. I'll, you know, I yeah. enjoy footy or, or whatever. Yeah. And then Australia's been robbed of a great swimmer. Because there, are, there was a couple of moments like that throughout my career where they were like, kind of, I guess, a fork in the road. It's like, do you go the pity party or do you steal yourself mm. and and bounce back from it? And um, luckily, I took I took the right path that time. But it's definitely a reason why. And. and Swimming had the benefit of the time. When I was young growing up, mm. I'm probably a similar age to you, where mm. when we were kids, swimmers were rock stars. Mm. Like Ian Thorpe, uh, Grant Hackett, Michael Klim were like yeah. rock stars. Yeah. And so when I was growing up, it was like, I, I actually always wanted to be a rugby league player. Yeah, really? And uh, my, my email what address- What position did you play? Uh, I started in the backs and as I got bigger and slower, <laughs> I ended up at second <laughs> row. Yeah, what was yeah. your email address? Uh, my email address was the next Sunny Bill at Hotmail, <laughs> which was um, oh my it's God. funny when I moved to Sydney and started swimming. I was like, I'm going to change my Hotmail address. <laughs> my dreams didn't eventuate. <laughs> oh my God! I think literally, I think the time I changed my email address. So I made the Australian swim team at 18 and we're having to fill out like all our, oh. all our forms for like our contact details. Yep. And I'm like sitting in the room, like with the other Australian swimmers, I'm like, I better just put like James Magnuson at Hotmail or something. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the next Sunny Bill. Oh, yeah, or, and whenever, I, whenever I, I do interviews and stuff, people are like, who are your idols? You know, was it Thorpe? Was it, mm. who was it? And I was like, Sunny Bill, Hazamel Masri. Steve Price, like yeah. all footballers. Yeah. All footballers. Um, <laughs> That's but all but time, that, that was where swimming was lucky, right? It's like our pathways aren't great. 
we give nothing to kids in the country who are some of the most resilient kids that you know yeah. filter through sports and always have been 100% however we've got this appeal we've got the glitz and glamour of being an Australian swimmer which yeah. is like the highest mantelpiece in Australian sport mm. at least it was. a lot of people viewed it that way there anyway. was a period for sure for, for sure. sure for sure so for me it was like love to be a rugby league player but I'm I'm much more gifted at swimming mm. and swimming is like the bee's knees. Yeah. So if, if that happened again and I'm 16 and, um, you know, I've probably got certain physical attributes that could lend themselves to rugby league as well. Yeah. If I had just trained harder at that and lifted weights and done all that stuff and bulked up, that's, mm. that's a genuine pathway as well. So yeah. I feel like swimming these days would lose so many kids to team sports because mm. you get naturally gifted young athletes. Yep. Swimming no longer has, is no longer on a pedestal. Mm. The money's not great unless you're top couple in the world. Yeah. And so if kids these days were getting that same sort of treatment, they'd just go, boom, rugby later. league, yep. AFL, mm. netball, whatever it is. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I just cannot believe, you know, having been in athletics and, and it's kind of all a kind of umbrella kind of thing. You got yeah. athletics and swimming. It's gone like an umbrella. Sports. Yeah. It's just like bizarre that they would just go, no, nah, the number one guy in the country yeah. that, that won the race, not even yeah. like ranked by other people, yeah. won the race. Um, yeah. Did, so, okay. So you don't make the junior Olympic side. Yeah. What's the thought process then? Is it, I need to get closer to a pool where I can, or what, what's the thought process? The thought process was like, uh, for, for a lot of my early career was like, I'm gonna prove people wrong. Mm. Um, so growing up in Port Macquarie, we'd never had, uh, we'd never had any, a local person go to the Olympic games. Yeah, okay. Um, and so at 16, I started thinking like maybe one day, mm. I could, and that was the first time at 16, I thought maybe one day I could go to the Olympics. They sat yeah. us down in this room and we went away on the f my first junior Australian team and they said one in five people in this room will go on to represent Australia at the Olympics. Yep. I was like, poor, like the dream is like alive now. Yeah. I remember one day I was back at school and I'm uh, practicing my signature in the back of, I think it was like history book or something. Yeah. Teacher comes over, she's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm practicing my signature. <laughs> no way. Well, why are you practicing your signature? And I was like, oh. Like I might go to the Olympics mm. one day. Like, mm. And I've just been fresh off this team, just yeah. been told you're a one in five chance. And she said, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Like, you'll never go to the Olympic Games. What? And I was like, oh, and that was pretty common throughout my career. <coughs> uh, well, throughout my, my childhood was yeah. like, the only people that ever really believed in me was my mum and dad. Mm. They definitely never thought I was going to the Olympic <laughs> Games. <laughs> but they believed in me and, and, and myself. Mm. Um, Everyone around us always was like, that's a silly like pipe dream. Like you need to be serious about what you're going to actually do because swimming isn't it. Man, I, I don't understand. I understand like it, maybe it comes from a good place where they're trying to like, for the chances of it happening are so small. So I want to give this kid a reality dose, but I'm like, there's a better way to communicate. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And you, maybe you will one day. Yeah. But like just make sure that you've you know what i mean i feel like the communication is terrible it's really strange as an adult right looking back on it and going what was in that other adult's head yeah, telling a kid that their dreams are silly yeah it's bizarre it doesn't make sense to me but i, I guess it's when you get jaded people yeah. who maybe haven't achieved their own dreams and think the world's a terrible place yeah that they yeah kind of pass on that negativity well i always whenever someone says as i got old i didn't know this when i was fucking 16 
when everyone says, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, what they're really saying is, I can't do this and yeah. I can't do that. That's yeah, yeah. all that's being yeah. said to you. Is yeah. that they're projecting their limits onto you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in every country town out there in Australia, right, there's always going to be a first. First mm. one to go to the Olympics, yeah. first one to play NRL, first millionaire, mm. whatever it is, there's going to be a first. Yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. Eventually, one day, if, in, if it's 100 years, if it's 1,000 years, every town in, in Australia will have had an Olympian. Oh, It'll happen. Yeah, 100%. And there's Absolutely. no reason why a town can't have an Olympian. What, yeah. there's not talented people in that town? Like, what, they're a different kind of human to everyone <laughs> yeah. else? I, yeah. I, mean, I, I agree. I've always had the kind of the feeling of if they can get to the moon on a computer powered less than your phone, yeah. and that was made by people, me playing, being good at sport is not, not that hectic of a, yeah. of, a, of a pipe dream kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, so, you, so, you six, so this, when you were 16, or was it when you were 18 that they didn't take you to 16, the gym? 16, 16 when, they didn't take me. when they didn't take you. And so what's the next 24 months? Actually, walk us through your first national gold medal because it, it's one of those moments in your life where, like, oh, me personally anyway, like I know they obviously won one, but yeah. it, it's like... If I had, if at the end of my life when I lie down in bed and I'm about to die, it yeah. will be one of my most cherished. Oh memories. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think at every at every step along the way, and you'll know this from athletics, there's always a bigger fish. Mm. You know, when you, you you finally win your school carnival and you go to zone, and then someone beats you, then mm. you finally win zone, you go to regional or whatever, and then. It's one of those sports where you're like, there's always a guy. Yeah. And you get to nationals and you finally win it and you're like, holy shit, there's no more guys. Yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's really surreal. I, yeah. I, I, I remember um, I, was, uh, I was on the Gold Coast. We, uh, that's, it was in Brisbane where mm. I won my first gold. Yeah. And mum and dad took me and my brother to the Gold Coast afterwards mm. and we went to Wet n Wild. And we're standing in the line for a water slide or whatever and I was like, can you believe it, Dad? There's no other 16-year-old here that could beat me in a swimming race. And it's, <laughs> it's a weird so feeling. Yeah. 100%. And it was not long, like it wasn't too far down the line. I was standing on the podium at the World Champs and they're playing the national anthem. And I'm now the fastest guy in the world, at that point the fastest guy in history. Wow. And I'm like, oh, now there's... And, and it, 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 I don't think it will ever sink in. Yeah. Because it's too... I don't know. You just feel like a normal person and you've achieved this thing and you're like, yeah. there's no person in history that could have ever beat me in a swimming race and it would never sink in. But I thought at that time I had a like real specific flashback to wet and wild when I was 16. No going, there's no 16 year old boy to like five years later, four years later going, there's no one in the world. That is wild, bro. Weird. It's yeah, wild. weird, weird, weird. And you, you, because I guess for hundreds of thousands of years, we were just like, people in like little villages and everything. So we still got like our primal brain or whatever. So it's so hard for us to wrap yeah. our head around such a big number yeah. of possibilities kind of thing. Yeah, and it's really weird. And, and it's one of those things, the blessing and the curse about the events that I did in swimming was like they're over in, you know, split second, they're um, super high pressure, super high stakes, but also like when you win, you can say you're the fastest. Yeah, for sure. And that was always my thing. Like, yeah. You know, 200 freestyles, nice. Other strokes are nice. It's all, it's all nice. But when you're the fastest in the world, you're like the fastest in the world. Yeah, it's, like, it's nice. It's why the 100 meters sprint is the most watched. That's right. It's the fastest in the world. Yeah. Um, do you remember anything specifically about the race with your first national win? Was there a certain tactic that you used or? Ooh, I think around, so uh, I'd come through and uh, I never had a race plan. 
Wow, okay. Yeah, so the first time I ever used the race plan was when um, I moved to Sydney when I was 18 and got a coach, like a professional coach and stuff, mm. and he's like, all right, we're going to plan out how you race. Mm. Back then I was diving in, I was breathing when I needed to, I was like accelerating and decelerating when I felt I needed to, like no it was way. so cowboy. <laughs> so I was basically just going off like grit and determination yeah, really. And talent when, really. Yeah, when a lot of these other kids were already from the city. Uh, probably of that say 10 in the final, say two maybe weren't from yeah. Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne clubs. And they'd be in systems by then. They'd be in like, systems, yeah. yeah. They'd be training at Homebush, they'd have sports scientists, all yeah. that jazz. And so they knew what they were doing and I was out there just winging it. Um, so the, the race itself, I remember being like super nervous. Again, similar to athletics, when you know it's starting on a gun, I don't know what about that, but like it gets you going, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, when, yeah. when you know it's like, and one mistake, it's over. Yeah um there's not many more th like not many things that are more nerve-wracking i reckon the only thing that would be more nerve-wracking would be walking out for a fight yeah fuck. i reckon that, that that's would gonna be, be the pinnacle that's the pinnacle yeah like I, I used to get so nervous watching conor mcgregor walk out Same. for his fights i'd be sitting there with butterflies in my stomach just yeah. like how is he doing that yeah the pressure oh that he's lumped on himself <laughs> when no. he walked out for that kabib fight i was like shitting myself yeah. and i'm not even fighting <laughs> I'm a, like i'm a conor mcgregor like fan yeah but i wouldn't say i'm like a, an absolute diehard like i yeah. frothed on the come up the, the i'm a fan of the come up the conor mcgregor of today is he's like, cooked he's cooked he's he, cooked he, it. and look when you get 100 milli given to you yeah 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 it'll cook most people I yeah think. yeah but i mean i can empathize with him a tiny bit in that i know what it's like to perform on your own in front of a huge crowd yeah but also to have a guy locked in a cage with you <sighs> who wants to kill you who is the best fighter in the world yeah. it's like the <sighs> stakes are so high Far out. and he increases it <laughs> a <tenfold>. million <laughs> especially that fight the things yeah. that he said before yeah, fight the were etched wild. Things, really etched things oh, about yeah. culture and religion and yeah yeah oh mate that um, was wild actually yeah so that's one of the few things about about big races in swimming is uh the nerves are thick and fast like there's there's a lot happening yep yeah um did you always this is something like you know i think with athletics and swimming you'd always rock up to a meet and there'd always be this like new guy that's going to be yeah you. this yeah yeah such and such he's yeah. his times are fucking this crazy yeah. time yeah and it's like every time you're like bro this is every year there's apparently yeah. this new gun that's gonna is that did you experience yeah that yeah you? always always or like in and swimming's a funny one because you're in uh you're in speedos you're in swimwear mm. that people are like did you see the guy from brisbane this year like he shaves his chest before the finals like <laughs> He rocks up to the heats with a hairy chest, and then he shows, and they're like, "Holy shit, the guy with the hairy chest! Like, he's a beast." <laughs> oh, it's actually a really awkward thing as a swimmer. Like you go through puberty, and puberty, you know, yeah. hits you pretty hard. And I'm still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> still fucking waiting. No hair and, on my chest. And you're out there bearing it all in a pair of speedos. Oh, mate, 100. percent Like you go through your full your full range of development, day yep. in day out, <laughs> in, in your speedos, speedos oh. in a squad full of girls as well. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not a guy's squad. Yeah, yeah. So you're going through these <laughs> awkward phases in speedos oh, in a pool no. of girls in swimwear. Oh, like it's no. such. <laughs> oh man, that's what an awkward time a as recipe, a teenager. Yeah, oh, recipe for disaster. 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 Um, 
Okay, so yeah, it's all, it was always funny, like, and there would be certain people because you know how you get to know certain people, like they come second yeah. or third or fourth, and they're always there. And there's certain people you know that are intentionally talking shit to get you out, oh, like, yeah. psych you out, and all yeah. that kind of. Right, right up to the, the the thing I always found super amusing, right up until the day I retired, is uh, you get a bit of, I guess you call it locker room talk, but it's like talk around the warm up pool. So when you're at the Olympics, you see the, the big pool, the stadium. Mm. Then out the back of the pool, there's another pool yeah. or maybe two more pools yeah. where you warm up and the physios there, the masseuses, you got like team rooms, all that sort of stuff. Um, so there's, there's always chatter around mm. the pool deck, around pool deck, we yeah. call it. And, uh, and you, you'd see someone from America that you haven't seen in a few years or whatever and you'd go, but mate, how, how you been? Yeah, yeah, good. How's training? Well, actually, now you ask. So I was, doing, I was doing this set and I was doing like repeat 100s on a minute time, like da, yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. And they tell you all this stuff they did in training. Yeah. And from the time I was 16 to the time I retired, it was always people telling me what they did in training. Like, yeah. oh, mate, I did this in training. I did that in training. Like, what, what have you been doing? And when they'd say that to me, um, like the times were always bullshit. And I'd be like, 100%. I was there like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hold that time. Yeah, yeah. Right up to the time I was a professional swimmer, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, mate, well, I was doing that in training. I'm like, yeah, sweet. Well, let's race. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins the race? That's so true. So that's the biggest chat was always like bullshit training stories. Or yep. like so-and-so benched this, so-and-so did a weighted chin-up with this. It was always bullshit training yep. stories. Fuck no. And uh, I was never big on the training stories. And even, even in swimming, it's, I, I don't know about footy, but probably the same in running. You've got trainers and you've got racers mm. and sometimes you get beast trainers who just don't race well for whatever reason yeah, i don't yeah. know if that would translate to footy M maybe yeah for sure like guys sure. that are beasts on the training paddock Mate. or weights room or yep. fitness yeah and it, for whatever reason it just doesn't translate yeah and it happens heaps in swimming um and people would always be telling you like that's that's the smack talk like yeah. oh i did this in training did these times like yep. yeah mate it, it, it honestly and it's just bizarre that at such a young age they're already like trying to manipulate the situation and yeah. make you rattled and that i was yeah, I, yeah. whenever i got involved like i never got involved i was just like man fucking relax bro like, <laughs> um okay so 2010 is um is that is that so so how old were you in 2010 18 so I finished yeah finished school end of 09 um did the schoolies thing then moved to sydney to swim yeah and that's when i made the decision like i'm gonna i'm gonna chase after this dream yep how was the schoolies thing yeah good <laughs> i wish i did schoolies as a professional swimmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you were just like just i was the same just a little dweeb doing his best yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean it was an eye opener because i come from port macquarie where there was like 10 girls to choose from and you knew all of them <laughs> and then you get to the gold coast you're like wow there's yeah. a world out there oh yeah but yeah. um it was a, a couple of years might have been london olympics one of the boys in our relay team was, had just turned 18 mm. and he was coming back to Australia after the Olympics to go to schoolies. Oh, and I was like, mate. Game <laughs> mate, over. Game mate, over. You walk around the beach at schoolies oh. with the Olympic rings tattoo. Oh my like, God. Forget yep. about it. Fit is a fiddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone's talking to each other. Oh, there's such and such. Like, come yeah. on. Jacked, Tim, just oh. come back from the Olympics, got the rings tattooed. Yep. Like, game over. So uh, I used to joke about it because it happened. Like I made the Australian team probably three months after schoolies. Yeah. Oh, no if I could way. just wind that yeah. time, that schoolies week would have been a lot more successful. Oh, <laughs> far out. You're absolutely right. And you look back on like how, how like 
nervous you were around women and like oh, yeah, no yeah. confidence whatsoever. Hopeless. Um, Hopeless. So 2010 though, you uh, the, make the Australian swimming, you go to the Australian uh, swimming championship. Yeah. Um, and you come third in the 100 meter freestyle. Yeah. Uh, and then you qualify for the national side. Yeah. So you would have been 18 at this stage? Yeah, 18 when I qualified. And yep. by the time we went away to Com Games, I was 19. Yep, okay. Um, and it was, I came through in an era where it was almost a bit of a changeover period. Mm. So like the older people on the team were like Steph Rice, Eamon Sullivan, Libby Trickett, Liesl Jones, Jeff Hugel. <coughs> They're all finishing their careers. Yeah. But they're all still there. So okay. like most of the people on the team were sort of mm, late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. And then like I sneak in as an 18 year old from Port Macquarie. Yep. Did not know anybody. Yeah. Did not know a person. Like Barring. the only time I'd met Eamon mm. was on the podium when we got our medals no to way. get selected for the Australian team. So I'm like traveling away with the Australian Country team. Country kid, like eyes wide open. shitting myself. Yeah. Shitting myself. And that was like, this is peak peak hazing era mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it as much anymore <laughs> no. but it still existed back then yeah yeah peak hazing and so all the old boys that are like that you know they've been some of those guys are like jeff hugels and your ash calluses and stuff are still hanging around from the sydney olympics at yeah, this stage wow and uh i'm coming into that team so yeah super daunting so uh, i mean what can you tell us in regards to the hazing uh one of the stories i've told this on sen so it's probably play on okay so uh we go to training in the morning and uh the older boys on the team are like come to the reception of the hotel mm. we're, we're staying in san diego yep. before we go to um uh, somewhere near la to race the pan pacific championships mm. my first team super nervous the older boys say come to the reception of the hotel and bring your passport mm. like yep sweet and they're like where wear normal clothes, no team gear. Mm. I'm like, yep, okay. Barely took any normal clothes with me because I was an absolute kook and didn't know what to take <laughs> with me. Like we, we rock up to the airport to get, go on the plane to um, LA yeah. and I'm wearing my full Australian team tracksuit and they're all wearing like plain clothes. Oh and I was just my like, God, oh. But no one told me. Yeah, yeah. And like, As I didn't know fella, what to do. Oh, in bright yellow tracksuit on the plane. No, and you know, in, in hindsight, now you know, like full kit wanker. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, they send out your team gear, and yeah. you got shit loads of gear, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, well, you must have to wear this everywhere. <laughs> so I think when we went to America, I might have taken like one spare pair of clothes. Yeah. The boys are like, normal clothes, meet in the lobby. Bring your passport. I'm like, yep, sweet. That's worry. Bring your passport. It's like, oh <laughs> shit. But I'm like, I'm like, the boys are accepting me here. Like, yeah, this is good. This is sure. the first time they've really spoken to me. Yep. I think I might be in here. <laughs> so I get to reception. All the boys are a bit sheepish. We get in some cars mm. and uh, we just start driving out of San Diego. Driving for quite a long time, and all of a sudden we hit like heavy traffic. I'm like, yo, what's like, what's going on here? They're like, oh. This is, uh, this is the border for Mexico. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. They've brought me to Mexico. Like what's doing here? Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we line up for ages, get through customs, get into Mexico. We're straight into Tijuana, which is just like degenerate city. <laughs> like it is, and it's slums and it's like just Rough. debauchery. Yeah. Debauchery. Anyway, the older boys take me to like the closest strip club, mm. whatever it was. And uh, they used to call me fighter pilot at the time because I had big goggles. 
<laughs> and so they're like, fighter pilot, we're going to get you a dance at this strip yeah. club. And yeah. I'm like, oh, no. And this, keep in mind, this is probably about 11 a.m. in the morning. So it's bright sunlight. Oh, yuck. And I'm dead sober. Everyone's sober. <laughs> oh, my God. Take me into this strip club. They're like, fighter pilot's getting a... Uh, <laughs> A strip, a strip tease, and I'm like, oh, and they like pick a girl out, and the girl takes me off into a room, and it's just me and her. Oh man! And uh, I haven't experienced a lot in life at this point. So she, and and this is like 11 a.m. on a weekday. It wasn't exactly the A team working the floor. <laughs> like it was, it wasn't good. Let's just say it's it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah not good. <laughs> so she starts dancing and stuff, and I'm just. Looking anywhere I can, but in her eyes, I'm yeah. like, do not want to be there. Like just praying, like, please let this end. Like just let this end and let me get out of there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, she does the full, the full thing, like strips down, does the whole thing and it finishes. Like she's trying to speak to me during it in Spanish or whatever. And I'm yeah. just ignoring everything she says and like not looking at her at all. <laughs> just like, get me out of there. Anyway, yeah. we leave. And uh, the other boys are out in the street or whatever. I walk out in the street and they're like, not even really interested in me. It's like, I'm just there, I'm a hassle. They probably don't even remember that they, they did they've it. sent me in there. Yeah. And then one of the older boys that I particularly looked up to and listened to said, uh, what's that on your leg, fighter pilot? And I was like, what? And I had these light jean shorts and I've got this big wet patch on my leg. And he goes, uh, what's that? I was like, oh, I think, I think that's where she was like grinding on my leg. And he's like, mate, that's crook. He's like, you've got an STI from that. And he just walked off. And I just go, oh, I was like, I've got an STI. And I was like, I was like, oh, my first Australian team, I've got an STI. My performance is going to be like yep, yep. wrecked. Like, what, what do I do here? Yeah. So, and, then, and the rest of the day, I can't even remember what we did, just kicking around T1. I don't know what those degenerates were doing. Yep. But all, I'm just stressed all day. I'm like, STI, 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 all day, STI. I'm just panicking. Yeah. Anyway, by the end of the day, we get back in, in the cars, get back across the border. Like, I'm super quiet all day. Mm. Get back to the team hotel, put my Shane gear back on, and go to dinner. I'm at dinner, and I walk over quietly to the doctor. So we've got a big support staff around us, like yeah. physios, sports scientists, doctors, all of it. I walk over to the doctor and I say, oh, doc, I need to, um, I need to see you later on. He's like, yeah, what's up? And I said, oh, I can't talk about it here. Can, we, can, I, can I meet you somewhere private? Yeah. He's like, yeah, righto, mate. Like, come and meet me, come and meet me in my room after dinner. I'm like, yep, sweet. Got his room number. Mm. Finished dinner, just still so stressed. Go to see the doctor. Mm. Doctor's like, mate, what's up? What is it? And I go, oh, it's kind of awkward, but I've got an STI. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what do you mean you got an STI? I said, oh, mate, I've actually, I've caught an STI today. And he goes, what were you doing? I said, well, I was down in Mexico at this strip club. <laughs> and he goes, you're what? I said, yeah, I was down in Mexico at this strip club. I got a private dance and stuff, and I've, I've ended up with an STI. And he said, mate, you were having sex with strippers in Mexico? I said, no, 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 I didn't have sex with her. Yeah. And he goes, well, how'd you get the STI? And I said, oh, she was grinding on my leg. And... Uh, I ended up with this wet patch and I've, I've caught this SDI. And he goes, mate, you, you can't have SDI, you can't catch an SDI from that. I was like, are you serious? He goes, you're sweet, you're sweet, don't worry about it. He goes, who are you, who are you in Mexico with? And I didn't want to snitch on the boys. So yeah. I was like, oh, look, I just, I just ducked down. Like, 
on you know on tour and stuff he's like oh right right mate yeah yeah go go back to your room <laughs> we're thinking this guy's a rogue this 18 year old kid from port macquarie is across the border in tijuana getting stri- strip teasers like it was so rogue and on a monday morning I mean, so i wonder i, I like there's, there's doctor could... patient privilege i guess yeah, but yeah. surely he's saying to the coaches like fucking keep an eye out on fighter pilot like this guy's running off the Tijuana in the middle of the day like someone keep an eye on this guy holy shit surely he put two and two together and and you think boys, so the boys you'd took think him so. down you think so but i don't even know if those old boys would even remember that but that that was that was one part of my hazing that i can tell one part holy one part it. and again because i was you know one of the only younger ones particularly because i was in the 100 freestyle mm. It's like we've got to, you know, knock this guy down a peg. Mm. And uh, so I copped a pretty big hazing that year. But I was so stoked about the hazing because I was like, I'm in. I'm one of the boys. Yeah. Like, and, and that was all I wanted was to be accepted and feel like one of the boys. Yeah. And so I was like pumped. Yeah. Even though I was, it was the most stressful day. And I don't know, I mustn't have listened in, in PE class or whatever because looking back on it now, I'm like, you. Why did you think you got an STI from a, from a chick grinding on your leg? <laughs> yeah, was it the first time you'd been overseas? Yeah. Like as into like America yeah. or something? Oh, like? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Man. absolutely. Like I barely, I hadn't been out of Port Macquarie that much. Like we used to come to Sydney for, um, for state or nationals or whatever, but spend 360 days a year in Port Macquarie. Like I can see how you could think that. Like, you know. Well, and the guy that said it was like the guy. Yeah, So yeah. I'm like, oh, well... If he's saying it, maybe there's some kind of STI you can get like that. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? That I don't know about. And he, the way he said it was like, mate, that's crook. He's like, you got an STI. And then just walked off. And I was like, that's crook. oh, that's oh. crook. <laughs> Bro, you sent me in there. That's crook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, great. It's that's, good stuff, no, though. But so it, like, imagine if you did that these days. Like, forget about it. Mate. Forget mate. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it'd be one of the biggest stories in the bloody. Oh. Everyone's getting sacked. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it is an interesting thing because like I understand the argument of like oh you know young you know boy men especially like they can be vulnerable I, I get that for sure and we want to make sure they feel comfortable everything yeah but I do think there is something to be said for young men and women that are joining a new group of yeah. experienced people yeah again it doesn't have to be extreme but a bit of rough housing or banter or something like that again whether it's men or a woman and women yeah. women do it too in regards yeah, to bringing, yeah, yeah. bringing them um bringing young women through into their, I think it's like, it's just a weird balance that we have to hit. Again, I understand the argument of like, we have to make them feel comfortable for sure. No one's saying that that's okay. Yeah. It's, but I do believe there is some merit in like testing a younger person and say, are you worthy of our respect? Yeah, um, yeah. And swimming's this really awkward thing where um, half of the people on the team are your competitors. Mm. Like literally you have same goal mm. you, it's not a shared goal yeah you want to beat that person or like you're getting sponsored by this person and she's pissed off because you're sponsored by them or like there's just conflicts of interest left right and center mm. so if you can have some kind of shared experience away from the swimming pool then it just brings you that bit closer mm. without a shared experience or a shared goal or a, a sense of belonging the swim team and, it, and it, it's happened at different points over the year it's just this fractured like everyone's there for their own good no one's getting along people bitching about each other yeah so that shared experience for me 
made me feel closer to those guys mm. probably didn't work in the other way yeah but it didn't have to because they already belonged they were already the big dogs in the team all i wanted to do was feel like i was part of the team yeah and so that experience for me was like oh the boys like me yeah it's 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 a, you're 100 right and like i went through plenty of like banter and you know certain things being done to me when i was yeah. coming through the grade but when the moment came where they said like mate we respect you and everything like it was awesome because yeah. i was like fuck yeah like i've, yeah, I've yeah. earned my stripes yeah I've yeah, earned yeah my stripes with these boys yeah um okay so so 2010 you go to the pan packs um then the commonwealth games uh you won't win gold in the 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 real eight how now i understand individual medals are probably what you are all there for yeah how much do you use froth the real eight is it a big deal to use or is it more a bit of fun Probably depends on where you are in your career mm. and also what importance the team as a whole places on it. Mm. So there were years where we'd go away in relay camps and set goals around relay, getting relay golds and mm. things like that. And you'd be fully invested and bought in. And there was years where they wouldn't even talk about it. And mm. so the relay would be like a sideshow. But mm. for me as a young guy coming up, getting a gold in that relay, one of my first memories of swimming was the, um, the Sydney Olympics when the Australians won gold and they did the air guitar and mm. all that stuff. So that was, Relays always held a special part in my heart. Um, but from the moment I won that gold medal in the Relay, I was straight away thinking like, how do I t take that next step and do this on my own? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. Cause you're right, it just really depends on what does the team, cause, cause you, at the end of the day, you're individual athletes. Like, yeah. That's what you do each day. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. To succeed. Yeah. But, at the same time, like there is something really, I guess, joyous about winning with your mates yeah. and being able to celebrate it with them rather than them looking at you going, oh, you beat me to get that kind of it's thing. This weird, it's this weird double-edged sword and people, people might find this um, take on it a little bit interesting, but um, the only way you can contribute to a relay in swimming is to swim your own best race. Mm. You can't jump in and fight the Russian in lane five next mm. to you, right? Yeah. The only thing you can do is swim that same 100 meters that I swim every time on my own mm. or in a relay team or whatever it is. That's the only way I can contribute is swim yeah. my own best race. Some people say I do these amazing swims in relays or, you know, I'm a relay swimmer. I swim so much better in relays because I take it to another level. Mm. It's not possible. Mm. There is no other level where like I'm giving 100% exertion in my own individual race and then, oops, there's another 5%. If I'm giving 100%, that yeah. is 100%. 100% yeah. What 100%. happens in relays is, all right, I'm used to walking out there in front of 20,000 people, all eyes are on me, all pressure on me, I'm carrying the weight of a country on my back. Yeah. I step out there with the relay team, I've got three other guys, I share the burden. Mm. And if I lose or if I don't get the result, the spotlight might not be on me individually. Yeah. So I think when people say I'm a great relay swimmer, I swim better in relays, it's actually I reach my full potential in a relay because I can't handle that pressure mm. as an individual athlete. Mm. Controversial opinion and people don't like to hear that, but that's, that's the way I think when I hear I'm a relay swimmer or I swim better in relays, it's mm. like I handle the pressure better when it's shared amongst four athletes. Yeah, because it's not like... Is there, you know, you all dive, everything exactly the same, isn't it? In regards to like, yeah. you all dive in just like you would dive in yeah. in a normal race. The water's obviously the same. The amount of races is the same. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Really, the only difference is the pressure. Yeah. That's really the only difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you, you have a sense of camaraderie. 
but that doesn't bring out an extra percentage of exertion. If mm. you're literally giving 100%, and in a sport that's so cut and dry, same as athletics, right? When you're at full exertion running, there isn't another... Yeah. You're at full exertion. Yeah. Or the only other, the only other answer is... is you're not trying your hardest when you're by yeah, yourself. Yeah, you've tightened up under pressure and yeah. you're not doing your best. Um, okay, so 2010 happens, but then 2011 rolls around and like this, yeah. I'm assuming, is arguably one of the best years of your life. Yeah, um, you for win many reasons. For many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so you win two golds, a silver. I guess, walk us through the year, bro. Walk us through the year. Yeah, so went into that year coming off the Com Games and decided like suddenly the, the goalposts shift from I want to be, I want to swim on the Australian team to like I want to be a contributor, I want to start mm. winning things. And uh, just the, the, the focus in training shifted to from like, you know, how do we get the best out of you to what's world's best practice? Mm. What are the best guys in the world doing at strength and conditioning, sports science, diet? all that stuff, the, the focus just shifted a bit. I think I matured a bit as an athlete. I'd been exposed to international racing. I knew now what, what it took. And I kind of backed myself to take it to that next level. The really nice thing about the start of that year and the world championships was that I was living my life in anonymity. Could walk down yeah, the okay. street, no one knew who I was, yeah. no pressure, no expectation could go out on a Saturday night and just be a normal 19-year-old kid with no repercussion ever. Yeah. Wasn't anyone's role model, wasn't anyone's hero, wasn't just normal life, which mm. is um, until that's taken away from you, you don't realise how nice that is. Mm. And then things change and you go, oh, that was pretty cool and I could do my own thing. Well, that's a good thing about like, if you go to Europe or whatever, like no one really knows you there. You just yeah. cruise around doing whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, but for swimming, it doesn't work like that. That's true. Good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, um, if you go to South America to, or something. If you, if you go to Africa. <laughs> if you go across the border to Tijuana, no one knows who you are. Uh, Tijuana, anonymity. <laughs> um, so going to that world champs, I think I was ranked eighth in the world, but was training well, feeling confident. And... Uh, uh, there was all these like real weird statistics like Australia's been successful at Olympics and world champs and stuff but never really in the 100 freestyle mm. we've always been 1500 free 400 free distance events and 100 freestyle is like the blue ribbon event mm. but we've never I don't for whatever reason yeah um, you had to go back I think to like the 50s or something Mike Wendon or 60s won an Olympics so we'd never won a gold medal at world champs in 100 freestyle yeah well, never uh, as Australians like yeah. how is that that is weird when we're so dominant so dominant yeah. so we're going to this uh, and I'm an underdog go over to China um, I lead off the uh, lead off the first leg of the relay and uh, it's the, my first ever time racing Michael Phelps. Mm. So I'm leading off first leg of the relay in the lanes, like two lanes down from me, we have uh, Michael Phelps, uh, Elaine Bernard, who was like the guy that beat Eamon Sullivan in the Beijing Olympics. I think Cesar Cielo, who was a world record holder, all these big guys in the race against me and I'm leading off. Um, and in the marshalling area, so you're in a marshalling area, um, say 10 metres by 10 metres, and they've got four chairs, one behind the other, and you line up one to four in your relay team. So I'm sitting at the front, I think behind me was like Eamon Sullivan or something. We've got four guys in a line. Mm. And this is my first big meet, first time I'm leading off the relay team. Um, so it's like, it's big time now, yeah. world title, world champs. And uh, the Russian team must have, uh, must have thought they could get under our skin a bit or something. Yeah. So the Russian team gets up from their seats, they come over and they stand in front of me and start 
speaking in Russian, like staunching me basically. What the And hell? I'm like, oh. And so, and I've never been, I've, I've been in the Commonwealth Games, but they're like the friendly games. Yeah, okay. This is the world champs now. Like there's all bets are off. It's serious. Yeah. It's professional. It's very, well, it's like the world champs doesn't have the added aura of Olympics or comm games where like we're coming together for the greater good. Yeah, kind of thing. no, no. And it's almost like, it's almost like more cutthroat, more mm. professional, probably more money on the line in mm. terms of bonuses and stuff like that. Okay. There's always more world records broken at world champs. It's better conditions. You're staying in five-star hotels. Okay. You've got buses. You're, everything's nice. Yeah. Olympics, like, everything's a bit scat. Okay. But world champs, everything's nice. Yeah. And uh, the Russians start getting up in my grill. And uh, I've come from the rugby league background, so I'm like, giddy up. This must be what happens in... Uh, in a marshalling area. Yeah. So I'm up out of my seat. I'm like, fuck you. And like start staunching up. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. Yeah, like, this is it. Like, as you said, rugby league background, if you, if you let him put one over you, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. lost. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in rugby league. So I'm up and I'm like, into it. <laughs> and uh, the other guy, one of the other guys on the Australian team, Matt Target, came up next to me. He's like, got my back. Mm. And then... Uh, Eamon, who was like the older statesman in the team and probably the calm head comes in and he's like, settles it down. Yeah. Mate, you know, stick to your own process, stay in your own lane, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, yep, sweet, settle myself down. Get back out there and uh, we walk onto the pool deck and I hear this... I hear this big slap and Michael Phelps is like renowned for he can swing his arms and clap them together behind his back. And before every race, he does a clap behind his back and does this big like, <laughs> like sound when he's on the block. Like so a just big before, some. Yeah, just before they say take your marks, you hear this big like, <laughs> no and way. you're like, that's his thing to say like, I'm Michael Phelps okay. and I'm in your race. Yeah, okay. And so again, that's like a, that's a fork there, right? It's yeah. like, oh my God, Michael Phelps or like, Let's fucking go. Yeah. And I'm already in the mindset of like, let's fucking go because you G'd me earlier. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm double G'd. Yeah. And so I just turned the race of my life. Um, yeah. I smashed Michael Phelps by like almost a second. Mm. Um, beat like beat everybody in that lead off leg, gave us like a body length lead in the mm. relay. And then the boys hold on and we win the gold. Yeah, wow. And everyone's going nuts. And there's this footage, um, there's this footage after the race of where we're like doing this like flex type thing and screaming yeah and it looks like we're doing it to the crowd but actually we were standing and doing it at the russians who are in the lane next to us we're like oh, like at the russians that's because they staunched us and then we <laughs> yep. pumped them yeah yeah and uh and that was a that was a huge thing back in australia so mm. that's that's night one win the relay like first gold medal we'd won in a relay for the men since um not including com games because again friendly games yeah First gold medal in a big relay since the Sydney Olympics. Wow. So it's been 11 years Holy. that we've been trying to emulate that. Yep. And we do it. We beat Phelps in America. We beat the Russians. We beat the French. We beat the Brazilians. And, uh, and so that was a huge moment that night. And I, yeah. I always kind of think like my, my world champs is like it's made. Like that's been a successful week yeah. regardless of what happens. But the time I swim in that is uh, th the time I swim in that lead off is like the quickest time in history. Far out. So all of a sudden back here in Australia, people start going nuts. Like we've yeah. got this new guy. Yeah. And, uh, and I, but I'm over in China, so mm. I don't know about it. Okay. I know nothing about it. Mm. I'm going about my normal week. My mum and my brother were there in the crowd, but you don't really see them. Yeah. Going about my normal week. Progresses through the 100 freestyle final. And uh, none of the swimming was being broadcast here back in Australia. Mm. 
but Channel 10 had the rights. And so they say, we're going to cut normal programming at 8 p.m. or whatever it is tonight. We're going to show the men's 100 freestyle. We've got this new guy. Yep. We're going to only show that race for the whole week. Wow. Because this is the next guy. Mm. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it yeah but if had i known it's a shitload of pressure but yeah, i didn't know like a massive pressure they're so, cutting their their usual shows just for this rookie that's coming through yeah and so i swim the race and it, it was the perfect race like my whole race plan was go out easy the first sort of 30 40 meters accelerate mm. into the turn and then pump everyone on the way home like yep. turn on the the heat on the way home and back my fitness that that i'd be fitter and people would start to drop off yeah 15 meters to go it's like pretty even and then like i've like absolutely pedaled to the metal mm. people start dropping away yeah. and i can see across the pool the world record holders like two lanes across he's the last one to drop and i drop him and i know with probably five ten meters to go i've won like oh, i've won a world title yeah. and you're just on top of the world and on the commentary back here in australia they say something to the effect of like here comes the missile he's superseded torpedo the missile is here or something like that and from that moment on for the rest of my career and you know now life after i've been called the missile which is like a pretty lucky nickname in the scheme scheme of things but that was like you could have taken uh, a five second chunk of my life that last 10 meters of that race and my life went from one thing to the other yeah. in the space of five seconds. That's wild. Came home from China um, like a week later, got off the plane at like 5 a.m. in the morning, mm. walk up the, um, you know, the causeway, come out at the airport and there's like cameras, flashing lights, yep. news reporters with like mics in my face. Yep. And that was just the distinct like before and after and that was like my my life would never be the same yeah after that race it's crazy and you're the first ever australian to win a 100 meter yeah and did you break the record in that race or so no? i was the the record that i broke was, was like the so they remember they brought in those crazy suits yeah and then they banned them yeah okay so the moment they banned them the times went way back down but my time was the fastest ever without the super suit Oh, that's so, so annoying. Only, they should get rid of those records with the suits. Only this year, sorry, the end of 2022, that time first got broken. And this is 2011 mm. when when I was going that speed. So yep. it took 11 years to catch up to where I was. In 2011. Back in 2011. So it was like, yeah, it was a huge thing. And uh, I think Australia went nuts for it because suddenly, like, we'd never had a guy in this event before. We've yeah. always been talking about Thorpe and Hackett and, like, yeah. They're huge stars, but there's something different about watching 1500 freestyle on TV and watching 100 oh, freestyle. Mate, 100%. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's a funny thing at that time. So, like, anybody that knows me away from sport and media and, and all that stuff, um, I'm almost, I wouldn't say full introvert, but I'm pretty introverted. Mm. I'm pretty quiet. I have a pretty small group of friends and even like family settings and stuff like i'm very quiet yep and somehow in the whole thing of the missile and like in the excitement of winning the race i sat up on the lane ropes and flexed and like it was part it's part of the bravado of that event it's like yeah somehow in the whole fallout from that is like i became seen as like his this 
like super confident, like alpha male, like yeah. beast, like. And uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with the event too, because it, yeah. like, it is the. It's just got that that thing about it that hundred. Yeah, really. yeah, and like yeah, same as the running, right? They're the swaggy guys. Yeah. <clears throat> I had to like try and put on a bit of an act when I was racing to be that swaggy guy because mm. I was like, if I'm not the guy, then I'm not going to win in the pool. Yeah, okay. so I got to be that guy. But uh, that's when it probably like leaked in a little bit to my life away from the pool. Yeah, okay. And it's super hard as a young kid, just turned twenty, and like every time you open a newspaper, it's like talking about you know yourself and how good you are and then like all those social magazines and and that's the the thing that swimming probably transcends that's a bit different is like everything i did was in like women's day new idea yeah the missiles single like full mainstream. what's the missiles love yeah. life like missile yeah. spotted at a beach with a girl in a yellow bikini yeah like all this weird stuff that was not just swimming related yeah it was like everyone wanted to know about every single part of my life mm. and uh and so it's, yeah, it's probably one of the few things that's different between swimming and rugby league and that it transcends sport for whatever reason yeah. and it transcends uh, states. Mm. So it's Australia-wide. Yeah. You, you go to Perth, you can't go anywhere. You go mm. to Melbourne, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, by that stage, if I went to Europe, America, South America, uh, Asia, is you're getting noticed and yeah. you're getting hassled everywhere you go. Yeah, wow. It's uh, you're totally right in regards to you. You transcend like there's this rugby league bubble and it's massive in the, mm. in the sense of like you know you, let's say four million people watch the grand final or whatever. Yeah, but it is a bubble. It's a bubble yeah. of rugby league. Yeah. Whereas when you take that step out into mainstream, it's just a different beast, bro. I mean, yeah. I assume obviously I don't fucking know, but and I don't know why swimming has always been like that, but the general public for whatever reason has always been interested in the social lives of swimmers. I think yeah. even right down to now, like. Is Emma McKean dating Cody Simpson? You know, yeah. it's it's very tabloidy. Yeah. But it's always been there for our biggest yeah. swimming. Who's Steph Rice dating? Um, yeah. You know, the the love life of you know, it's always been very tabloidy. Mm. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's probably it's probably the unisex nature of the sport. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's always been a big thing, and they used to. It was gone by the time I came through, but they, remember they used to always have the bachelor, the Cleo Bachelor of the Year. Yeah, and it was always like swimming guys. Yeah, it was always like Jeff Hugel, Michael Klim. Like, I'd stuff love to like know that. why. What there's something about? Yeah, I don't know. Because like, really, when you look at like running, I mean, maybe we don't do as well in running. That's probably why. You know what it is? It's probably because it's it's probably one of the individual sports where we dominate worldwide. I'm trying to think of any other individual sport that we really dominate worldwide. Yeah, it's probably the only real one. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's the reason. And so do you, like, I see it all the time and I'll be I'll be the first to admit too when, you know, I started playing first grade. Look, did I turn into some kind of monster? Absolutely not. Like, I was still, you know, there were still way worse blokes than me. But it definitely does get to your head. Like, oh, yeah. It definitely gets to your head. You're a young man with... You know, you're not on millions, but you're on decent enough coin, much better yeah. than, you know, what you would probably be on if you went out of school normally. Yeah. Did you find that you, in the in the moment, you don't think there's anything different? It's not until later yeah. when you look back and you go, fuck, maybe I did. You know, was it like that for you or no? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it was, it was hard not to get caught up in all the excitement. Mm. Um, and... I had this stretch of like, I was winning all the races. I was doing like heaps of like TV commercial, like it was everywhere. Yeah. 
papers, TV, um, and I'd never had a bad story written about me ever. Yeah. So I'm like super open with the media. <laughs> when I get interviewed and they're like, you know, you know, what are you expecting from this race? I'd say I'm expecting to win. Mm. And it's, it's such a fine line that you tread between arrogance and confidence, mm. particularly in events that are very finite in time where mm. you have to believe in yourself to win those events. And in individual as well. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I've always said when I'm, I'm coaching younger kids and stuff, I never won a race that I didn't believe I could win. Mm. I had to convince myself through whatever process necessary that I was about to win whatever yeah. race I went into. Yeah. So I was so sure that I was gonna win that race. So do I, and it's probably, it's probably a balancing act of like, okay, I have to believe that internally. I have to try and you know walk the walk around training and around my inner circle. Mm. But as soon as I step out in front of the media, I have to like switch up to like, oh, you know, I'm not sure how I'm gonna go. I just happy to be like, yeah, I, yeah, the- I hate that stuff as well. And I think it's probably a part of the reason that swimming has lost a lot of its, um, a lot of its, I don't know, allure. Is it's very boring now. Mm. Whenever you watch a swimming interview, guys are like, I'm just happy to be here, just happy to represent my country. Um, no expectations, nothing like that. Yeah. And I think that's part of the thing that people liked about me and part of the thing that they also disliked about me yeah. was that I'd do an interview and they say, well, you know, what, what are your hopes and you know, what do you expect from this race? I say, I expect to win. Mm. And it's kind of exciting. It's kind of like the Conor McGregor thing where you're like, oh yeah, well, now you better win. Yeah, 100%. And it's also like, so it raises the stakes. It makes people watch. Mm. But if you don't win, then, you know, people call you a dickhead. Yeah. And I had both moments in my career. There was races where I said I'd win and I'd win. Yeah. And there was a race where I said I'd win and I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> and they always remember that race. They remember it forever. Yeah. They remember all the ones that you did win. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, mate, it's, yeah, look, it, you're, you're totally right because, like, there is not a single athlete, that, team sport, individual otherwise, who doesn't feel they can win. Yeah. Like, it just, it's yeah, just, yeah, what yeah. are you doing? What are you yeah. doing if you don't think you can win? Yeah, and it's, uh, again, it's probably mostly naivety in that I didn't quite know how to handle the media and how mm. to play that game. Yeah. But there's no training. They didn't sit me down after I won a world title in China and say, okay, this is what people yeah. are going to say about you. Yeah. This is what to expect. This is how to be a role model. Mm. That was one of the things I always struggled with is people like, oh, why, why are you saying this? Why are you doing that when you're a role model? Mm. I'm like, oh, like, where yeah. was the role model 101 course? Like, <laughs> yeah. what should I be doing? What shouldn't yeah. I be doing? Yeah. Because um, s- like in your head, you're just, you're an athlete. Yeah. You know, you're not, you didn't grow up going... I'm an athlete, but I'm also training to be a role model. Correct. You're training to be just an athlete. Correct. Yeah. And, and what does being a role model um, involve? How does a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old be a role model to an 18-year-old? <laughs> like, I don't even yeah. know my own place in the world. Like, I'd get and it if you were 28, 29, you could start saying, listen, mate, you, you're a mature adult now. You understand even if you don't want to be a role model, you are a role model. Yeah. But expecting these 19, 20, 21 year olds, it's like, mate, you're looking at the wrong people for a model. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's hard. And it, we went through this really weird phase in the swim team, like I said, of almost a changeover period where mm. we only won two gold medals at that whole world champs. And that mm. was me in the 100 freestyle and the 4x100 freestyle relay team that I was a part of. Yep. So we win two gold medals, we come back, we're heading into an Olympic year. 
were predicted for one gold medal for the Olympics for the swim team, and that was me in the 100 freestyle. Yeah, okay. So all of a sudden, there's no shouldering of responsibility and pressure and expectation and everything like that. It's like, all right, this is our guy. Put him up on the pedestal. Yep. Every sponsor, every TV job, every you know radio segment, whatever it is, this is our guy. We use we use James, we use the missile for everything, mm. and he's the role model. He's the spokesperson. He's the leader he of the team. The country. And going into that Olympics mm. was another really weird time in Olympic history, where they they do these. Uh, the Olympic Committee comes out and does a medal mm. prediction. The Olympic Games. What? Before the Olympics. That's bizarre. Why they do that, I have no idea. What do they gain by doing that? Nothing. Nothing to gain, everything to lose. Other than looking like you could be corrupt. Like, yeah. It, it, do you know what I mean? Like it. So they came out and did a medal prediction before the London Olympics and might have predicted like two or three goals in the whole Olympics. Like maybe like a couple of sailing or something mm. or cycling. And then me mm, in wow. the swimming. So I've gone from the face of swimming to the face of the Olympic Games. Mm. So, and again, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Like I wouldn't change it for the world in that, like that set me up for the rest of my life, that yeah. period. Mm. The pressure came with the sponsors, came with the opportunities. So they balance each other out, right? Yeah. But it was just this perfect storm at this one point in time. Yeah. Like, how do I go on to the Olympic Games now? You'd go, oh, there's Ariane Titmus, there's Kyle Chalmers, there's Emma McKeon. Like, they're all there. Mm. Like, James is one of many. Yeah. But it just was this perfect storm of like, oh, we've only got this guy. Oh, by the way, his name's The Missile, <laughs> which is kind of catchy. <laughs> yeah. And he's only been around. He's only won his first, the first gold really last year in yeah. regards to like the top yeah, tier. Yeah, yeah, first race I've ever won at an yeah. international so level. So it'll be less than 12 months after that, you've yeah. got the weight and expectation of a country. Yeah, yeah, and the moment I got back, so the, the, the and again, it's changed, but the build up to the Olympics end was almost a year long. Mm. This last Olympics, Tokyo felt like it crept up and it was done and it was like, oh shit, that what was, just happened yeah, like in bizarre, Tokyo? Yeah. yeah, bizarre. I don't know whose fault that is, but it is what it is. Um, so this Olympics, it's like almost a year build up. So I get home from the world champs and straight away they're thinking like Olympics. Yeah. And so I've got this year build up of just um, madness, which was, again, a blessing and a curse. Like mm. some of the greatest times of my life, some of the most pressure I've ever felt. Yeah. Um, some of the hardest times of my life in that, you know, I could barely walk down the street. Yeah. It's a real weird time. Yeah. Bizarre. Like walking down the street in like, Again, you're right in regards to like there's footy players and then there's – and I think also uh, there's a kind of a difference with footy players as well. Like, don't get me wrong, I can't speak for the, you know, the Thurstons and the Smithies and all that kind of stuff. But I, I feel like with footy players, they're kind of like – because they are – even though you are a country bloke, but they're from the people, footy players. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. this knockabout yeah. kind of thing you can do with footy players. Yeah. Whereas swimmers with that Australian – you're meant to be polished and it's exactly people wrote articles about me after London saying that I was like this uh, typical spoiled private school kid from Sydney and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. And this is where like journalists do no, no research. research sometimes. There's yeah. no 
repercussions for what they write. Yeah. But that's just what they assumed because mm. I was on the Australian swim team. Crazy. Like a typical stuck up Sydney private school boy. And because, you know, it's funny, it's like that same people that like write those articles say like, don't judge a book by its cover and all yeah, that carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're judging you because of the way you look. Yeah. And the fact that you're in the Australian swimming side. Yeah. Whereas you're a country bloke, you know. So but, weird. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so we're in 2012 right now. Is that correct? Yep. And this is the, did you say London Olympics? London Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you won a total of two medals, a silver yep. and a bronze. Yeah. Um, was So the silver was in the 100 free. meters? Yeah, 100 free? bronze in the relay. How did that, like it's weird, like you won a silver. So mm. it's, that's incredible. Yeah. But personally, what was that like for you? Well, I think, look, I had absolutely no perspective on it at, at the time. Um, so for me, the immediate feeling was failure. Mm. But the weirdest thing was the immediate feeling was embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> And it's bizarre. I can't exactly nail down why. I guess because of the, all that expectation and that pressure. Yeah. And again, like I certainly didn't help myself in the lead up to that. And mm. sometimes, like people will say to me, like, you know, you, you you brought that on yourself and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can accept that. But when a person wins a world title and you ask them what they want to do at the Olympics, generally they'll say win. Yeah. Unless they're being dishonest. <clears throat> and I was just always honest, mm. probably to my own detriment. But um, yeah, it felt like a failure at the time. I felt embarrassed. It was by one one hundredth of a second, which people always dwell on yep. because it's such a small margin. Mm. But in a sport like swimming, it's not something I think about. Like I don't think, could I have done this or that like, to improve on one hundredth? Because yeah. I gave everything on the day. Like yeah. I've never swum a race and like, oh, I could have tried harder. Like, yeah, what the yeah, fuck? Like, yeah. I tried my hardest every time I go in the pool. Yep. Like I try my hardest at everything in life. So... No regrets around anything like that. Just someone was one one hundredth better on the day, mm. which was still at the time like faster. That it was only this past Tokyo Olympics when someone went faster than we did at that Olympics. Wow. Like the time I did in London would have won Rio, would have like won every other Olympics ever. So yeah, wow. had a fast race, had someone better on the day, but yeah, felt really embarrassed about it. Um, and copped a heap of backlash from it for. A couple of reasons. So firstly, I get out of the pool and uh, I think it was Gian Rooney or someone tried to interview me. Mm. And uh, you're, on, you're on pool deck, there's 20,000 people there. You've just, you've just had what you think is like the biggest failure in, in your life and your head's spinning, the crowd's roaring, there's yeah. TV cameras everywhere. And Gian stopped me for an interview. Like as you get out of the pool and you're walking off pool deck. You're just processing what's happened. Just like processing and I'm like, haven't had a chance to speak to coach, media manager, anyone. Mm. And I walk past her mm. and don't do the interview straight away. Yeah. And uh, was that what did you intentionally walk past her or you just weren't thinking you were caught up in the moment kind of thing? Yeah. Mm. Bit of both. Like I, I was aware that she was there, but I'm thinking like this is extenuating circumstances. Like surely that she's not expecting me to speak on this yeah, right okay. now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I'm trying to process what's just happened. Like you literally touch the wall, crowd goes nuts, out of the pool, there she is. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not this one. Yeah. And walk like five Split meters past. Split second decision. Split second decision. Walk like five meters past her. Mm. And I don't know what was said in coverage at that time. Then the media manager stops me. Like then I get to the media manager, and he yeah. says, no, no, go back and speak to Gian. Yep, sweet, go back and speak to Gian. So you had someone that just could bring you back 
present to the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you need to do that. Yeah. And that, that like focuses you back in. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I haven't even thought like you got to go and get your clothes, you got to get your accreditation, you got to do a drug test. Like there's stuff happening yeah. that is kind of procedure, mm. but it goes out the window a bit when you've just had this monumental moment in your life and mm. you're trying to process it. Yeah. And you, you kind of just think like, surely she wouldn't be expecting me to say something right now. Because yeah, you're you so know? devastated. Because I've just had this moment and like there'll be channel nine cameras again further down. So you, they, you then go through this mix zone, mm. which is like 100, 100 meters long with the world media, every yeah. journalist, TV station, everything. Yeah. But only the main TV rights allowed right on the pool deck. Okay. And that's where channel nine was. Yeah. So I was like, I'll get to, I'll get to them eventually. Yep. This first one, I just need a like, I need a second. Mm. And that's literally all it was. Like, I've just got out of the water. I just need a second. So I walk past Jan, don't do the interview. Media manager stops me. I go back and I do the interview. Mm. And uh, people went nuts for that. Like, <laughs> how arrogant is this guy that he thinks he doesn't need to do the interview? Like, people went nuts for that. Nuts, oh, nuts, nuts, nuts. And uh, like it, I, when I hear stuff, people going nuts out. Like, have you ever wanted something so desperately, desperately in your life that if you don't get it, the, it feels like your world's ending? Yeah, yeah. I felt like the world was closing in on me. Yeah. I was like, what just happened? You, you like, that's know. not what I. Th and and I've convinced myself I'm going to win. So yeah. I'm like, that's not what was meant to happen. How do I process that? Like, yeah. how does this affect my life? What does my life look like now that I didn't achieve that? It's crazy. You went back and did it anyway. It's just like mm. so. For thirty seconds, you were rattled. Yeah. Like, as a, you're a human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So they went nuts on that. Um, a, f a few stories were getting leaked at the time saying that, like, I thought I was bigger than the team and stuff. That was all just BS. So is it, it's funny how you're the golden boy going in. Yeah. You don't win. Yeah. Then narratives start to begin painted as if, like, Almost that machine of oh, there's a story, there's a negative story here. Yeah, now. like we can create something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like you're the pinup boy, which is awesome and everything we wanted. Yeah, you're the pinup boy, which is everything we've always hated. It's like wait, I'm still the same. <laughs> I just I lost by one one hundredth of a yeah, second. Yeah, 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 and um, and Nostrum has won individual gold at yeah. Olympics. Yeah, wow. So it wasn't like well, I've let it down, but other people have helped us out. It's <laughs> yeah. like. You're our only hope and you didn't do it. So and it's your fault. 21? Yeah, I would have turned 21 just before we went oh, over. Yeah. And so that was massive. And then the fallout from that Olympics, um, you know, came back to Australia and had a tough time of it back in Australia. And then the Still Knock story breaks. Yeah. Which is like the biggest story. That was crazy. Ever? I, um, I don't like follow swimming much at all. Obviously, when Australia's, you know, Olympics and that, I'll absolutely watch it. Yeah. But that story was so big, bro. Yeah. It was so fucking big. Yeah, imagine if they knew the Mexico story. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be, you know, in a few weeks, you'll be in the same situation. I should have just drip fed the Mexico story <laughs> to take the heat off yeah. for the still knocks. <laughs> Wait, you think this is bad? <laughs> the still knock story was like so innocent and so it's, it's really, it's just a boring story. Yeah. And that became like the biggest thing ever, like yeah. the biggest. And again, part of the thing of being the pin-up boy and the face of it is no matter how little of a part I played in that night of the Still Knocks night, like that's our guy. Yeah. That's the guy on the TV commercials. That's the guy on the front page of the paper. So yeah. who do we link the Still Knocks thing with? The guy who's on the TV yeah. ads. And so for the people listening that may have forgotten or whatever, walk, walk us through basically what had happened. 
So we're in uh, we're in Manchester before the Olympic Games. Mm. We're actually staying in the same hotel as the Dream Team, which was sick. Mm. So we're like riding in the elevator with LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, like no talking way. to them about like life. Yeah, like spin out. That's fucking crazy. Um, and so we're in Manchester. I think we're in Manchester for three weeks, mm. and we this was what we were allowed to do. You're allowed to go be in your hotel room, the team room, which is where we had our food some like puzzles and shit like swimmers do like nerdy lame shit like puzzles and stuff in between like it's they think that that's enough to keep the boys buoyed (laughs) (laughs) wow Um, maybe puzzles with like a fucking case of beer or something (laughs) so three weeks out from the olympics uh we're allowed uh in our hotel rooms we're allowed in the team room the bus and the pool (laughs) so you train twice a day so you say you're in your hotel room you go to the team room had food go to the bus Training pool, bus back. Can you team go room. to the shops? No. Nah. Movies. Nah. Too risky. Risky, risky, risky. Everything's risky. So you got wow. team room, hotel room, bus and pool. Mm. For three weeks leading into the Olympic Games. Yep. So you're bouncing off the walls. Bouncing off the walls. We're in as sprinters, we're tapering. Mm. So like I'm not training so hard now. Like yeah. I am like jumping out of my skin. Yeah. Like testosterone is flowing. Yes. Um and so some of the older boys uh in the relay team are like oh we need to let some steam off yeah yep sweet we've been doing this thing in the swim team for years Mm. it's a tradition (laughs) the boys in the relay team yeah we get together we take still knocks Mm. and we hang out Mm. i've never heard of still knocks at this stage before in my life i've never had a sleeping tablet in my life i've never had problems with sleeping up until that point which is like really lucky yeah because a lot of people needed still knocks because you take caffeine at like 9 p.m at night to race on tv at 10 p.m then you got to come home and go to bed and race the next day yeah i was really lucky in that i'd never had problems sleeping so Mm. i'd never been prescribed still knocks never heard of it so boys are like this is the plan uh after dinner um meet at one of the the boys rooms they'll bring the still knocks with them because they've been prescribed them we're all going to take still knocks and we're going to hang out and bond yeah basically six of us in a hotel room and six boys two or three of us will fall asleep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like yep done again like i've been on the team three years but i'm still 21 years of age i still feel a need to want to fit in yeah and I don't feel like I've got a big enough voice in the team at that stage, even though I'm the pinup boy. Within mm. the team, I'm still a youngster. Absolutely. I don't feel like I've got the authority to go, wait, no, this isn't happening. Yeah. Nor would I ever. Mm. Like, if there's one thing I've always been, it's one of the boys. Yeah. Like, if there's mischief, I'm probably involved in it. And at this point as well, like, okay, yes, in a perfect world, you wouldn't do it. But at this yeah. point, you're not thinking that the fallout is going to be... No. You're just thinking it's going to be a night on the piss, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. And the whole way it was sold to me was uh, basically like you you feel drunk, you act drunk mm. without drinking, and then you can sleep and you can still train the next day. Mm. So we get a release of all this energy. We get a release of the pressure and we get to bond as a team. And yeah. then we turn up to training the next day and train as per usual. So it yeah. doesn't affect our training. We're three weeks out from the Olympics. Yeah. It's still ages away. Yeah. So we go in the room, take the still knocks, bit of wrestling bit of skylarking <laughs> like just standard guy yeah, shit yeah a few prank calls that was probably where it went wrong i think oh, i think really? that's my where it might have leaked yeah and a few boys did some like knock and running okay in the wow. hallway they're super in, like no one leaves a hotel the hotel store like that's rule number one is like you can't leave the hotel yeah and we abide by it yeah 
we take the still knocks at probably 8 p.m. at night. Mm. We're in bed by probably 11 p.m. Wake up the next day and, and I still remember clearly it's probably one of my best training sessions <laughs> in my lead up to the Olympic Games. Oh, Reason being, like I've been feeling the pressure building and building yeah. and building. It was just a slight release. Yeah. Even if just for a couple of hours, it was mm. like a weight off my shoulders. The boys, mm. wrestling, yeah. back to normal. Mm. Yeah, let's go back to training. Yeah. And uh, it all finishes and... Um, the Olympics finished. No one ever thought of it again. It kind of like left my mind that it even happened because yeah. it was just like this small blip in what was a whole Olympics campaign. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I come home from the Olympics months later, I'm on a training camp and my manager calls me and he said, uh, mate, there's, there's a story that's going to break tomorrow. Mm. They're saying this is going to be the biggest story in Australia and it's involving you. He's like, what is it? And I'm just racking my brain like, what have I done? I'm going over every night that I've been out, mm. like ev every little scenario, I'm like, what? And I'm, and I'm like, honestly, I don't know what it is. And he goes, mate, I don't know what this is about to be, but it's gonna be the biggest story in the country tomorrow. <laughs> and so I go to bed that night, just fretting, like Actually what? needing a still knock. Yeah, <laughs> like what, <laughs> what is his story? Yeah. And I'm thinking like, you're thinking the worst, right? Yeah. Like wake up the next day and, uh, they're calling it like darkest day in Australian sport and all this stuff. This is pre-Stephen Dank. This is like the biggest controversy ever in Australian sport. And it's about the still knocks night. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like this is, this is, anyway, go to training that day. And there's, or we're, we're up in on the Sunshine Coast on a training camp, swimming that morning and uh, get out of the pool. And there's just news trucks everywhere with live broadcast, those big towers doing live broadcast, reporters everywhere outside the pool. And it was, it honestly was the biggest story that I've ever been a part of. And it was just absolute madness. And everybody had their own take on it, right? Mm. One story was like, they were on Still Knocks. Uh, they were on Still Knocks and Red Bull. Mm. One story was they were drinking and on Still Knocks. One story is like, they're on Still Knocks and they're out partying and clubbing and stuff. Yep. They're, they're on Still Knocks and they're hassling girls in the team and oh. they're, you know, all these things. And, uh, the, the truth of it, like the real story is so boring. Yeah. But it just captured everyone's imagination. Yeah. And just went wild. Wow. It, and I, mean, I think to this day, I think people think that we were doing still knocks like the night before we raced or something. Yeah. In yeah. the Olympic village. Well, we weren't a, even in the village. That's a, that, was a, that was a feeling that I got that it was like around competition time. Yeah. Like they didn't ever really go, they didn't make a point of saying it was three weeks out from... Thing I like. And suddenly it, it, it became this reason. Oh, the reason that the Australian swim team won gold medals, not the six in the room, mm. but the whole swim team, it's because these guys were disrupting everyone on still knocks. Oh, my God. It's like, what? Oh, my What? <laughs> One night in a, three weeks before you're even... That's crazy, bro. <laughs> Should have said the Mexico story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, was this truly the first time like this period where you're like, don't get me wrong, the media has its its role to play for sure. Yeah. I and mean, we're both technically in media ourselves. Yeah. Was it a really eye-opening thing of like, there's a there's a game to be played here with the media oh, that I've got to be a bit time. smarter at. Big with, time. Kind of. Yeah, big time. And it, it, it just, what it did was like, it broke that trust for me mm. with the people in the media, mm. um, which is one thing now I'm in the media myself. It, it's something that I'm so conscious about. Mm. is like portraying the athlete, the player, mm. the people in, in, in the thick of it, 
in a positive light wherever mm -hmm. possible and trying to take into consideration how they would be feeling and acting and putting myself in their shoes mm. because so many people, so many people in the media can dehumanize athletes yeah. and just talk about them like they're not real people. Mm. And it's so damaging to the point where one week a reporter will say something about an, an athlete that's just so far off the mark and so damaging. And the next week come out and write an article for like mental health round in the NRL. And it's like, are you thinking about these athletes as people? Mm. Or are you thinking about them as, I don't know, almost like robots that play sport on the weekends? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting like, topic because I feel like anything, any person that is in the media, so like is, is a profile or whatever, mm. because we're so, for so long we've been wired to like, if I know a person, I've met them physically. Yeah. Whereas I feel like now because everything is so online, they, you almost exist as an idea yeah that, that is disconnected from a human being big time yeah and so whatever idea they want to create that's mm. the idea that people take to their you know yeah put in their head with it and so in regards to like athletes i agree with you like when you anyone that's been an athlete will tell you 90 percent of the time i'll even go 85 to be conservative if you ever see someone do something wrong and it's a big beat up i promise you their intention was not to be yeah. A piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it's, yeah. It, it's usually from a place of just not thinking, being rattled, yeah, or just a human mistake that we make every day of our lives. Big every time. Day. Yeah, and I think as as a person in the media, you can be critical of, or critical and analytical of performance, but when you start going into like character assessments based mm. off what they do in a sporting context, mm. it's like. You can't judge a person's character based on the way they play football yeah. or the way they swim. Yeah. And so many people have said to me post-career or when they meet me socially or you know, through the media and stuff like that, they're like, oh, I had, uh, had it all wrong about you. I thought you were this real arrogant like upstart. Mm. Like, well, based off what? Mm. Oh, well, I read this article about you where it said like this, this, and I'm like, you formed your opinion of somebody else's opinion. Yeah. It's and it's, it's something that I think you learn, you know, having gone through what I, I've gone through, I will only judge a person based off my own interactions with them. Mm. If I haven't met them, I'll reserve judgment. Mm. And I pull people up around me all the time on it. Like if my parents or my girlfriend or say something about an athlete, like, oh, he's, he's a dickhead or whatever. I'm like, well, hang on. No, you, that's what you're perceiving based off what you're seeing on a football field or what you're seeing, let's say, on a tennis court. Mm. you've never met him mm. you don't know what he's like yeah you know his sporting persona mm. you know what people are writing about him and how they're interpreting him uh you know how the commentators are you know talking about him but that's don't let that be your opinion of yeah. the person make up your own mind based off your own interactions yeah i i agree and i think i personally think that every school i don't know if they do it but i think that because we consume so much information now I think every school should teach media literacy. Yeah. So teaching children how to consume the media that they are consuming. Yeah. So for example, a lot of young kids, and maybe they're getting better at it, but like if you read an article and you don't see a quote from anyone in the situation, yeah. look, it might be true. It might yeah, be true. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, it might be true. But let's teach young children that, or, or kids, that if you don't see quotes, if you see, you know, certain red flags that look like it's an agenda or it's, mm. it's not linking to a source and all yeah. of these different ways to tell whether this is just complete and utter 
opinion yeah. compared to a fact-based report. Yeah. And, and that, that, that steps into the, the sportsman thing of like, if we t- taught the media literacy, we'd be like, well, you know, okay, use rugby league, for example. X player wants, he, he's greedy because he wants 800K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's private information. Yeah. So, so if you were literate in, in consuming that media, you, you would go, okay, it's actually illegal for someone to know that. Yeah. So if that is true, how did they get that number? You yeah. know what I mean? All these yeah, little things that yeah, we could teach yeah. young people to consume better. The other thing about, um, I guess it's social media at the moment is people feel the right or the obligation to tell people about their opinions. <laughs> yes. And which I think is even more damaging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, I can't, let's, let's say I'm a young kid watching Origin. So for me, the best example of this is Cameron Smith, right? Mm. Grew up with Queensland dominating New South Wales and mm. Cameron Smith was the face of that. He was the gun that was just dominating us every year. Mm. So in a football aspect, I hated Cameron Smith. Like every time he played the Bulldogs, I'm like, ah, oh, Cameron, like he's the bane of my existence. Yeah. He's beating us in grand finals. He's beating us and smashing us and everything. But I never met him. Met him at SEN one day when he's doing the show with you. Yeah. Like, geez, he's a nice bloke. <laughs> yeah. Call my dad in the car on the way home. I said, Dad, I just met Cameron Smith. He's like, oh, Cameron Smith, what's he like? And I was like, champion, yeah. great bloke, super nice, like very respectful, like introduced himself, even though I know it's Cameron Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, one of the great blokes. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. Like, how good's that? Mm. But that's an ability to be able to separate Cameron Smith, the Queenslander who dominated us for eight years, yeah. and Cameron Smith the person mm. who's a good bloke. Yeah. And most people can't separate the two. They can't separate Latrell Mitchell, the beast footy player who has beaten our Roosters side in a couple of semifinals yeah. in a row. And Latrell Mitchell, the person from Taree who lives and works on a farm and yeah. is a knockabout bloke. Yeah. Not only can they not separate Latrell Mitchell, the beast footy player and Latrell Mitchell, the person, they want to let that beast footy player know what they think of them. Yeah in a private setting. Yeah. And it's a really weird time we're in. And it's a very tough thing for na- athletes to na- navigate, I think, is yeah. to sift through like whose opinions matter mm. and how do I consume those opinions? Yeah, it, it is a, it's tougher than ever to be an athlete, I think. Definitely. If, because- You can't get away from it. You, you can't switch it off. You cannot switch it off. Whereas yeah. like when we were coming through, you didn't even need to have social media. And obviously, you know, you're way bigger profile than me, but like, if I wanted to go home and play video games and talk to my guildmates or whatever, yeah. like I could fully just do that. Yeah, like that yeah, that yeah. was just something that I could do. Yeah. Whereas like nowadays you have to have social media because at the end of your career, you want to build up a following, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough landscape. I came through just, so Instagram came out just before the London Olympics. Oh. So I downloaded Instagram just before the Olympics. <laughs> and, uh, and before that you're just getting like, um, like, messages on messenger through facebook and stuff but yeah you, they stay in like the hidden yeah if you're not friends with them um and so i was getting like heaps of messages on insta and they're you know the good the bad and the ugly the full scope and i was learning on the run then like how to interpret these messages and how to accept people's opinions of me and stuff like that and mm. there was no training on it i don't even there probably is training on it now i hope i hope clubs and organizations coach their their athletes about how to to handle that feedback but sometimes you're sitting there and you're getting pumped by someone on social media and you're arguing back and then you're like 
hang on a second, like this could be a 12 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why do I care? Or like a 50 year old loser with no hope. He's yeah. just doing nothing in his yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so now I'm, I'm heaps better with it now. And it's a funny thing as an athlete and um, you're probably the same. Like, could you imagine if you could put your mindset right now, if oh. you could put your brain in your 18 year old body, the difference in what your career would look like? Mate. It and I, I sit back sometimes and, and like I'm only 31 and swimming is a really young sport. Mm. Like, you know, I was there from the time I was 18 to 27, yep. super young. But I'm like, oh, if I could put my brain now in that 18 year old body, it would be an unstoppable force. Yeah, because absolutely. now I know how to, I know how to play the game with the media. Yep. I know how to handle the pressure and expectation. I've got this really good... Uh, understanding of life and what it's all about. I know yeah. sport isn't the be all and end all. I thought yeah. it was. I thought yeah, I thought so. my world was going to end if I didn't touch that wall first. And yeah. then I was like, oh, it didn't end. Mm. Um, I wish I could take my brain out and just oh, put it in that mate. young body. Un you're 100% right. It would be like, just it'd be night and day. It'd be Crazy. literally night and day. Could you imagine like your preparation, the stretching, the dieting? From a young the, age too. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. The preventative. You, yeah. You'd go five, ten years longer. Now. Remember when they'd say like after training, like, oh, we want you to stay and stretch for like fifteen minutes. You'd yeah. Be like, Fuck stretching. I hate stretching. Yeah, fuck that. Trigger ball, like yeah. foam roller, like piss off yeah. with your trigger ball. <laughs> and then you know you end up with injuries and stuff like that. But yep. if you had that mindset, yeah, man. Oh, night and day. Literally night and day. Um, so. 2012 happens, 2013 comes around and you de you defend your world championship. Yeah. Was there a lot of fire in you because of yeah. everything that happened? It's probably the most pressure I've ever felt mm. because people started saying like, oh, it's, you know, he's a one hit wonder or whatever, mm. or um, can't handle pressure. Mm. That was a big thing. <laughs> You're a world champion. Yeah. Um, there was just different stories coming out and I was like, I've got to back this up. Like I have yeah. to. Mm. And that one was like publicly, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself before the Olympics. Mm. Privately, the amount of pressure I put on myself before that world title, because I felt like I almost needed to prove to myself mm. that I could handle what was coming my way. Yeah. And the pressure was like silly. The amount of articles, and this time it was all, it was the opposite. Yeah. Going into the Olympics, there was a heap of pressure, but it was all positive. Mm. Like we want him to win, we want him to do that. Now there's people saying like, we want this guy to lose. Yeah. And some of the, some of, yeah, some of the rhetoric around was like, we hope he loses, we hope he's done, stuff like that. And oh, so it was yeah. almost more pressure and I had to prove people wrong this time. I yep. didn't feel like, f for the Olympics, I felt like I had the pressure of a nation, mm. but a nation behind me. Mm. For that world champs, I felt like I had the pressure of a nation, but half a nation against me. Yeah, wow. And all the storylines had changed, like in interviews before the media, uh, media interviews before the race and stuff. This time people are saying like, oh, you know, do you think you're going to lose? Or, you know, are there any plans for still knocks? Like it's all just negative, 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 yeah. negative. So I'm like, I've got to, I have to win. Yeah. I have to win. I don't know how my life would have been affected if I lost that race. <laughs> and I was coming... I think I was coming eighth at the turn in that race. Wow. It just turned, panned out to be one of the craziest world, world title 100 freestyles ever. Um, there was like doping Russians swimming crazy times. It's, it, like yeah. this is like peak. 
Is this Icarus time? Peak Icarus. Peak Icarus. Peak Icarus. One of the great docos. So there's like Russians like swimming out of their minds. <laughs> yeah. uh, the guy that I beat uh, that beat me at the Olympics is in the final again. He's in the lane next to me. Like there was just so much theater around this race. Yeah. And uh, my girlfriend's dad tells a really, so, so my girlfriend, her father was the physiotherapist on the Australian swim team. Mm. This is before I met her. And he tells a really good story where he says, uh, you know, you, you, like I came in for the night of the 100 freestyle, the whole team's in there, they're doing physio, they're doing massages, people are in the warm-up pool. Everyone's like, yeah, James, like, you know, big day, you know, you got this, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's really happy and smiling. And, and he said, you, you put your suit on and you, you got changed in your tracksuit and you walked out of the room and he said the whole room just went, oh, like, oh my God. Really? Like the pressure. And he's like, everyone was just looking at each other going, holy shit, like wow. this is, this is, feel it. he's like, everyone could feel it. Yeah. And he said, everyone stopped what they were doing. All the swimmers got out of the pool, all the physios and masseuses stopped and they all went up to the grandstands no to watch. Way. They're like, we got to see this. Yeah. And he's like, you could cut the air with a knife. He's like yeah. the tension that night. And he said, he's have, hasn't felt anything like it. Mm. Just the tension. Yeah. Like this is, what's the storyline here? Like, is he the guy or is this fairy tale over yeah and uh lucky i didn't see that <laughs> oh man because <laughs> i was already like man yeah <laughs> the pressure was so much went out um and one of the better races of my career and that the the pressure the expectation but the way the race panned out i had to dig so deep mm. i remember that last five meters it's probably one of the only times in my career i've done this I wanted it so bad and I was gritting and biting down so hard. I closed my eyes the last five meters of the race. Yeah. I know where the wall is. I've done that race so yeah, many times. Times. I know it's coming, yeah. but I'm always aware of where I am mm. and what's about to happen. Mm. This time, like we get to five meters to go and I feel like I'm not in front. Like, and so I don't know how this race is going to pan out. Yeah. So I just like bite down, grip my teeth, close my eyes and rip into that wall yep. and touch. And I look up at the board and it takes a couple of seconds to interpret. Like there's, it's in a basketball stadium. So they've got that square board up on the roof yep. and I'm like looking, looking, and then you're in your lanes and then it refilters to the positions and it refilters <sighs> and it's got Magnuson one and then America two and three. And so I realized I've won and I was just like, oh, like the relief, yeah, the absolute relief. And I think I took a bit of time and I like paddled out to the five meter, like to, to the, where the flags are and the crowd's going like nuts. Mm. And I just like took my time, like took it in and then sat up on the lane rope and like really like Gee took it in. Yeah. And uh, that was probably, that was probably the coolest moment of my life. Um, where it was like, I've, I've done it. And it just felt like whatever happened from there on in my life, like I know now, yeah. intrinsically I know, people, people externally now know, but I know what that pressure felt like. I yep. know how fucked up that was. Yep. And I know that I've got the stones to like cop that yeah. and, and win. It's the, it's the triumph of bouncing back and proving that you're the select few that can bounce back. You know? Yeah. Whereas a lot of people just probably would have rattled them for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, and, and it was more about the, it was more than the race. Yeah. Like I had to win that race, but I had to prove to myself and I had to prove to other people that, um, that I had, I had what it takes. Yeah. It's uh, what an incredible moment. And so 
you what's the media like then did you did they swing back again or was it still there was still an edge of i think for the rest of my career there was always an edge okay there was always an edge and um just uh, as part of i guess who i am like i've always been uh, i've always spoken the truth in the media mm. so i've i've just had this roller coaster ride my whole career of like the truth has uh at times made me relatable and at times got me into trouble yeah. so like some ex like one year they had the the olympic trials at, in adelaide i'm like i don't want to race in adelaide in front of a crowd of what 10 people mm. And then like Adelaide goes nuts. And it's one of those things where like most people can insult Adelaide. Like as an NRL player, you could insult Adelaide. You can say whatever you want, they don't care. But when you're a swimmer, you also represent Adelaide. Yeah. So I insulted Adelaide. I ended up having to do a written apology to the premier of South Australia because they'd paid to have the Olympic trials in oh, Adelaide. Oh, wow. Another time I said like an off, off cuff comment, like the winter Olympics, doesn't seem as serious mm. as the Summer Olympics. It's mm. like, boom! <laughs> Lydia Lasala finishes her run at the Olympics and they're like, the missile insulted the Winter Olympics. And like, oh, so my whole yeah. career has been this, this roller coaster with the media and I've got myself in so much trouble <laughs> over the years. And um, like, sorry to say this, SEN, I'll probably continue to get myself into trouble. <laughs> but it's part of who I am. Yeah. And uh, it's just part of being honest. Mm. Like, I, I call it how I see it. Um, I'll always take the athlete's perspective and um, I'll, I'll, I won't sugarcoat things, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting how I think a lot of people... You know, I get, I get it, understand Adelaide paid off this money, rah, rah. But like at the end of the day, these are just opinions. You know? Yeah. They're, they're just opinions. They're not, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not like calls to violence. Even or, on, on SEN, like a couple of things recently, um, like there's talk about Kyrgios. And I'm like, I love Kyrgios. And mm. people smash me in the comments, yeah. um, like the text line and stuff. And then the last few days, I'm like, ah, oh, the players should get what they want in this bargaining agreement. Like, what are you saying? Are you telling me that the NRL doesn't want to look after them after their careers. Yeah. They don't place any importance on the women's game. Like, what are we arguing about here? Let's yeah. get this done. Yeah. And people are like, they hate when you take the athlete's side. I don't know why. Yeah, it is, it is interesting. It's, I think it's also like sometimes maybe the demographic you're speaking to. Yeah, you know? for sure. Like I think, for example, don't get, there'd be a lot of people that, of the bloke community who would be against the athletes for sure, not, not yeah. denying that. But I think you'd find majority are probably quite uh, open athlete. to hearing the athletes yeah, yeah. side of things yeah um but yeah it's 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 like i mean that's the game you're in you're you're yeah, paid yeah, to yeah. give your opinion it's funny like i always envision so, so you, you don't realize what you've got in anonymity until it's gone <laughs> yeah. like being able to say anything yeah being able to like the, the weird thing for me was like as a 19 year old kid suddenly i changed my mindset to it's 2 a.m. I'm out the front of a nightclub and a guy's absolutely spraying me. Mm. And all I'm thinking of like, what's this going to look like in the papers? Mm. Your average person's like, how hard am I going to hit this guy? Yeah, You're absolutely. like, what's the repercussions for my sponsorship deals or my TV? Yeah. Like yeah. From, the, from that moment on for the rest of your life, it's always like, what are the repercussions of this? Yeah. And you never just get to relax. <laughs> now, now for sure, now, for sure, for sure now, I could go overseas and holiday and do whatever and have fun and relax. Yeah. But in Australia, will I ever be able to do that again? I don't know. Mm. Is that a bad thing? Like, uh, it's stressful at times. Mm. 
I know definitely my parents would love for me to be able to like a shut my mouth, but b <laughs> but b just for them not to be dragged. Like that's the yeah. hardest thing, right? Your parents get dragged into it. Um, get dragged into it, mm. and they're always defending you, and they always will. But I'm sure they'd love one day for me to step out of the spotlight <laughs> and just not to ever have another story written about me. Oh, <laughs> mate, that's um, yeah, it is it is the unspoken thing of like uh, you know if you're a professional athlete or, or whatever that you know you do have a family that they go to work people ask them about it they go yeah. to functions people talk about it yeah so it, it doesn't just affect the player it affects well, people around him especially in a small town like port macquarie mm. like you even imagine like my brother's five years younger than me so when i'm at the olympics at 21 20 years of age he's like 15 years of age yeah, in wow. high school in Port Macquarie. There's yeah. only one family in Port Macquarie with the surname Magnuson. Yeah. Um, so everything I've ever done in my career has had severe implications on my family because they live in that community and they, they carry the surname and there's not, there's not many Magnusons around. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Take us through the SAS thing that you went on. Yeah. How did that come about and why'd you do it? Oh, crazy why did I do it? I just I still ask myself that. Um, Again, as part of, I guess, the career, the, the, the profile, all that stuff, I've been asked to do, like, every TV show under the sun. Like, yeah. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, Bachelor, Survivor, Dancing with the Stars, like, whatever they all are. Yeah. And I've always said no to all of them because I don't see myself as a reality TV guy. Yeah. And then uh, this SAS one comes to me and my manager um, sends me the... Um, the request and they send a clip with it of uh, a British version of it. They send this clip and it's like guys punching on, like fighting, um, jumping out of planes, like swimming through like filthy creeks in the Amazon and stuff. Yeah. And I just write back to my manager. I'm like, mate, that is insane. No way I'm doing that. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, f I stopped thinking about it. And then that night in bed, I'm like, like, and the whole precipice of the show is, are you tough enough yeah. to get through this show? Don't ask an athlete that. <laughs> yeah. So I go to bed that night. And I'm like, I wouldn't, I would never quit. <laughs> like I would never quit on that show. And then I'm like, <laughs> would I, would I quit? No, I wouldn't quit. Mm. And like, I start questioning like, and then I'm like, look at a few more clips of it. And there's like some hardcore dudes on there. I'm like, am I as tough as that? Like, I think I'm, Everyone thinks they're tough, right? Yeah. Like intrinsically, whether you've, you know, been in scraps or played football or whatever, unless unless you know you're a pussy. Yeah. When you the are, most most blokes think when the rubber hit meets the road, they'll know what to do and how to handle it. Yeah. So you think you're tough. Yeah. And uh, and I thought I was. I, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm tough. And so then I go back to my manager. I'm like, oh, like maybe yeah maybe and then like he comes through with like formal offers and stuff we start talking dollars and cents yeah that side of it's nice but um i'm still like my main drive is like am i tough enough mm. and i'm like and this is the first time it's been on in australia so they're blowing it up they're like this is going to be big yeah and i'm like you know all right you know what i'm going to do it and from the moment i said i'm going to do it i'm like i'm going to prepare for this yeah. and i'm finishing this thing. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I have to finish this thing. Um, so I prepared really well for it. Um, was super fit for it. Was probably in the best shape uh, I've ever been in 
like outside of the pool. But when mm. I'm when I'm in my peak shape for racing 100 freestyle, I'm like super low body fat. Yeah. Like a strong wind would probably knock me over. Like mm. I raced at 92 kilos. It's really not a good uh, fitness to be for SAS. The worst. Like because you probably break bones, dislocate yeah. shoulders. You're like, almost like a Ferrari. Whereas as SAS, yeah. you want to be utilitarian to it. Yeah. 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 You want to be like a Land Rover. Yeah. Bloody <laughs> oat. Bloody oat. Um, so like I put on a fair bit of size for it. I started running. I was doing like heap of running, weighted running, doing these mad treks, like lifting bigger weights than I'd ever lifted. Like I was just in prime physical condition. Yeah. And uh, that probably got, got me through the show more than anything. But I was also thinking, I'm going to go on this show and it can't be as real as it looks. Because the British one was just, um, just what's the Civilians. Okay. And then the Australian one, they're like, this is celebrities. Yeah. So as soon as you hear the word celebrity, you're like, it's not real. Yeah. I was like, celebrities, they're going to say, stop filming. Here's a warm shower. Here's a meal. Here's whatever. <laughs> and so the first night, the first day we get there, they fly us out in these helicopters um, one at a time, take us up in these helicopters. You have to stand backwards, drop out of the helicopter head first and land oh on your head. God. Like it was so hectic and yeah. it was like super high. Mm. I got like a concussion from it and stuff. <sighs> we come out of that and we fight. <laughs> so you have to fight. So we come out of the helicopter, we fight. And again, like you can't fake fighting. Yeah. We had a headgear on, but... My headgear came off because I got a big melon, so I'm just, <laughs> just, it's just a fight. And also, headgears, you're still getting hit. It doesn't, yeah. it still hurts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've got a decent, decent beak myself, so I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting toweled in that. Like, and it's a proper fight. So, yeah. it was, you know what? That was kind of fun because it's like I can fight here yeah, and there's yeah. no repercussions. So that was cool. So we fight. It's full on. It's serious. Like, plenty of blood. And then, like, they smash us in these workouts and stuff. And then we're up near Threadbow in August. So there's like snow around and stuff. Then they put us in the water. The day finishes, they're like, go to your beds. Go to our beds. And it's just this like little camp bed, this bit of material. Yeah. I'm 110 kilos when I go on this show. So heavy. Big boy. Lie down on the bed, just go vump, straight through it. And oh. I'm lying on the floor. And it's, I'm soaking wet. It's minus degrees. Yeah. And I'm lying on the floor. I'm like, that's all right. I'm like, can I get another? Like, I don't know who I'm talking to. Yeah. Because there's, there's cameras in there, but they're not crew. Okay. I'm just like, can I get another bed? And there's like, no reply. And I'm like, I need, I need a new bed. My bed's broken. There's like, no reply. And I'm like, oh. Thinking like, that like the cameras might like, be watching. Yeah, and yeah like something's in. like, oh, production comes in, give yeah. me a new bed. Like yeah. I need a fucking bed. I can't sleep <laughs> on the floor. And I'm like soaking wet and freezing yeah. cold. I'm like, well, this is fucked at the moment, but like. They'll switch the lights on. There'll be showers because there's no showers, no toilets, no nothing. And I'm just lying there. I'm like shivering. I'm like, I'll come in and get my bed. And I just laid there all night. And I just remember like hearing the birds and like, I'm like, what? It's like daytime. And the army guys come rushing and they're like, get up, get up, get up. And yeah. it's like, go, go, go. And I was like, oh shit. Like this is real, real. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And because I think because I went in like at, I went in at that, at that fitness level and stuff. I got through the physical stuff as best you can. Yeah. That's, you know, it's the mental shit. That's it's all tough. mental. It's yeah. all mental. Yeah. So they weren't, the last few days in particular, they didn't feed us. So I lost 11 kilos in 14 days, yeah. which is a lot. Yes. Um, it was just freezing cold the entire time, like absolutely freezing. You might get maybe two hours sleep a night, yeah. say between, depending on what time of the day you finish, you might sleep between like, 10 and midnight or 11 and one. 
but then it would drop too far below zero that you'd wake up cold. Oh. So then you'd sit up and try and get near fires or stuff during the night to stay warm. So sleeping one or two hours a night for 14 days, um, not eating, freezing cold, just constantly shivering. It was just mental warfare. Oh, mate. Yeah. And so you made it all the way to the end, didn't you? Yeah, I made it to the end, yeah. And like... What? <laughs> What was it like watching other people drop off? Were you surprised? Because like what, the, what I always say, um, you know, with I haven't obviously done a 14 day one, but the longest yeah. I've done is about six days. Yeah. And I always say you'll be surprised at the guys you think, or girls, that you think are tough, yeah. aren't. Yeah. And the guys that you think are weak are actually fucking super tough. Yeah. It's you, weird, isn't it? So the moment we get in there, so we find out who's on the show, right? And you see them all. Mm. And one of them, Chappelle Corby, that was a spin out. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you see the guys and, and again, like, is this cocky or arrogant maybe, but I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I know I'm going to be at the end cause yeah. I'm, I've got no quit in me, mm. but I'm like, who's there with me? I'm like, maybe like one, two, three, I can see being in there at the end. And they weren't the people there at the end. Yeah. And the people that I like, it's like you said, I'm like, these guys are going to be super tough. They weren't, these guys are going to be pussies. They mm. were tough. Yeah. Some of the biggest blokes like cracked really early. Mm some of the physically fittest people cracked really early. Mm. It just didn't have a direct correlation. It really doesn't. Yeah. And I think that's where I was super lucky where I'd come from individual sport where I'd had so much, uh, solo mental dialogue throughout my career. I've spent so long with my head in the water, like talking myself into situations, yep. like don't be a pussy. Don't quit. Like keep going. Like I've done so much self-talk that like, getting through this show the whole time in my head. And I, I was just thinking about my mates. I was like, as soon as I went on there and my mates basically said when I went on, like, if you quit, yep. we will not let you live this down. Oh, like, mate. you are done. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking the whole time, like, I cannot quit. And uh, the moment I got back to Sydney, they know I've been gone 14 days. So they know I probably made it to the end. Mm. But they don't know for sure. So yeah. like, did you quit? And I was like, what do you think? They're like, oh. <laughs> but then we watched the show together and like, yeah, that was, that was the thing that was driving me. It was more than anything. It was like, do not give these guys ammunition <laughs> for the rest of your life <laughs> so on national the boys, TV. Yeah. The boys banter was what got yeah, you through. The boys banter. Like um, imagine the group chat. Every time they just be like, you quit your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, was there any moment, when was your weakest moment where you genuinely considered fuck this shit? Or not, not genuinely, because I know that once you made that decision in your mind, you're like, I'm yeah. going to have to be a stretchy idea. But the moment where you're like, feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, two different moments. First moment, that first night, where I'm like, oh, like, this is the real deal. Like, what am I doing this for? This mm. is dumb. But then I just cracked on. Then the second moment was the last night of the show. So night 13 or 14, wherever you are, they do a torture segment. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so they basically like, they you do this big escape thing and whatever, and they just, they, they tie they put you in a room, they tie you up, they put a blindfold on, noise cancelling headphones with like screaming babies, squealing pigs, like oh. scraping down chalkboard, all this stuff. And they leave you like chained to the ceiling, like standing in this room. And then like they'll take your blindfold off and they'll be like um, German shepherds like barking in your face and stuff. And then they put it back on. Yeah. And they take it off. They take you into a room and interrogate you and stuff and like strip you down to your undies and like shred you. And yeah. they made me tip a bucket of water over my head, then sent me back in my undies, like tied up for like 
hours. And I think it, I think the whole torture period went for about eight hours. Oh my god! And uh, it got to a point like halfway through it where I'm start. It's just getting really weird to the <laughs> point where you're just questioning. And I imagine if if you're trying to get into the SAS, your driving force is I want to be a soldier. Mm. Like I have to get through this because I want to be a soldier. Mm. What the fuck was I doing? Yeah. <laughs> what do I get from this? I never thought of being a soldier in my yeah. life. Yeah. All I'm trying to do is not get hammered in the boys' chat. <laughs> is that motivation yeah. enough? Turns out it was. But um, I was just sitting there and I was f- just sh- shivering uncontrollably. Like, And there's this really weird feeling when you know that there's no warmth coming. Yeah, It's like a basic human need. And you know it's not coming and it just feels like torture in itself. But then with the noise cancelling headphones, like scraping down chalkboard and stuff, and it's oh. turned up super loud. And it just went so long. <laughs> I was like, am I going to die? <laughs> like, I know that's dramatic, but yeah. I'm just thinking. And, and I've also, I don't know if anyone else is quitting. Yeah, okay. So I know when we go into this, there's like uh, five of us left maybe. Mm. And so I, which five were left? So it was the Honey Badger, yeah. Uh, Mary Quartz from Merrick and Rosso, the radio mm. show. Sabrina, the uh, she was a women's AFL player, and Molly, who was a rally driver. Mm. And I'm thinking in my head, and it's it's going on and on. It feels like never ending. And yeah. when you when you have no concept of eight hours and you're blindfolded and noise in your ears, it felt like weeks. Days. Yeah, it was so bizarre. Oh, and I'm like is this a joke where I'm the only one left and they're just going to see how long they can film this? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm like, people can't be lasting through. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, surely I'm the last one. Surely, <laughs> surely. <laughs> and then they brought us out at the end. It's like uh, Merrick, Honey Badger and me standing there and they like pull our blindfolds off. I'm like, oh shit, the boys are still here. <laughs> but then they start roasting us again. So I knew I wasn't the only one. But yep. at that time and when it was just going on and on and on, I was like, is this worth it? Yeah, yeah. And like, it feels like there's no end as well. Yeah. Because like, it, almost you can take anything as long as you know there's an end to a degree. Yeah, um, yeah. It was the last time they took our blindfold off. So they walked us into like this interrogation room. And as they took our blindfold off, it was just before they closed the door. And I could see sunlight. So I was like, the sun's come up. We're into the next day now. Mm. And I knew filming was 14 days long. Oh. So I was like, I'm into the last day. Wow, this okay. is it. Like. Yeah. Can't keep me here forever, boys. <laughs> I signed a 14-day contract. So that, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of cheating a little bit, I guess. I just saw this glimpse. So I'm like, that was sunlight. I was yeah. like, we're into day 14. Wow. It can't go more than today. Yeah. So I was like, grit your teeth, buddy, and Endure like just it. get through it. Far out. Is it something that, you know, it gives you this sense of strength of whenever you're feeling down or struggling now, Yeah. it'll never be as bad as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... Um, I've got a gym and stuff now and like sometimes I have to get into the gym by quarter to five, like 4.45 in the morning. And some mornings you get out of bed and you're just like, oh, like I needed another four hours sleep or something. And you go back to that and I was like, I don't need any sleep. <laughs> like I don't need, sleep's nice, yeah. food's nice. Mm. It's nice to feel, um, and, and I came from a high performance world where like everything was monitored. So I spent most of my life feeling pretty close to 100%. Yeah, At any point. given day of the week, you could put me on the blocks and I'd be swimming fast because I'm feeling and performing really well. Yeah. 
all year round. And people thought just because I was an athlete, that transfers really well into SAS. But it's like, I'm not used to feeling like shit like yeah. this. I feel like I've been on a three-day bender every yeah. time I wake up on this show. And your eyes are just all fucking groggy. You feel like, oh, I can't get through the day. Yeah. And then you somehow do get through the you day. You do. You do. And you go, I did it. I did it again. Yeah. I did it again. You're like, I'm going to get injured. Oh, wait, my body's not that fragile. Like I can hack stuff. Like yeah. I can handle stuff. And it, did, it does give you a really good perspective on life where you're like, you, yeah, you don't need the creature comforts. You, you, They're all nice things, but you don't need them. You can, the human ability to survive is crazy. Crazy, yeah. Crazy. And I, sometimes I think like, what would have happened if they extended that by another two weeks? Like mm. what, at what point would I have quit in me? And again, you like to think that you don't have quit in you, but the the lengths that your body can push through and like the last day, we've been in there where we get let out of torture and then Sabrina, the AFL player, is a big chick. She's probably 6'2", um, like full forward, big chick. And they say to me, put her over your shoulders and sprint up that mountain. <laughs> and now I've just been tortured for eight hours. I haven't, I haven't come out of that end. I'm, I'm on empty. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking impossible. Yeah, literally can't do it. I put her up on my shoulders and I fucking run up this mountain. <laughs> yeah. And I look back on it now, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I was like, I've lost 11 kilos at this stage. I had no strength left in my body. Yeah. It shouldn't be possible. Yeah. But it's possible. And your body, and like we got to the end and it finished and they're like, the show's over, it's finished. And I'm like, I could probably go again. Yeah. Like I probably could. I think. Well, I don't know why. I think like, um, you know, even for the longer camps, like the six days, I think like by day three or four, and it might've been different, like longer for you as in regards to like, cause it was a longer camp, but like you almost get not used to it, but like yeah. you just get, you just feel like, all right, well, I'm just going to be miserable. Like you, yeah, accept yeah, yeah. you accept that things, yeah. everything is fine. That's, that's when it kind of got easy. It's mm. like, I'm just going to accept the discomfort. Mm. I will not be comfortable again for yeah. one moment for 14 days. <laughs> yeah. Like I know my life is as fucked as it possibly could be for 14 days. Yeah. And as soon as you accept that and go, I'm going to be a smelly, dirty, like tired, tired yeah, just a complete wreck, but I'm going to embrace it. Yeah. Then it kind of gets easier. Yeah. It's uh, it's mate. when it's that first time when you have to dive in the mud and you're like, ah. yeah. or that first time when you're like real cold and you're like, oh, I just want to be warm. <laughs> as mate. soon as you accept it and go, oh, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. <laughs> mate, an incredible achievement. Incredible. 14 days in one of those camps. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Just quickly, um, the retirement. Yeah. How, how did it come about? Uh, just my body was a bit busted up. So after that second world title, had an awesome run where I went like two, three years undefeated. Yeah. Then had to get a shoulder reconstruction, which just kind of spun my body out a bit. It's probably like an ACL as a, a runner. Mm. Like yeah, you true. never quite get back to where you want to be. And I found that really frustrating in the last few years of my career. My mind was like so steely, so focused. And my body just would not do what my mind right. wanted it to do. Mm. And then we went through this transition phase of what I had come through as, and you know, 10 years prior, went through another transition phase where... I was like the older one on the team now and all the younger kids were coming on the team yep. and we were no longer going to Tijuana and stuff. Now we were legitimately doing puzzles in the team room. And I was like, oh, it's just not an environment. It didn't, that, that environment didn't motivate me anymore, didn't excite me. Like there'd be a, there'd be a, a tour coming up to, you know, wherever, a trip overseas. And it'd mm. be like, ugh, like, it felt like a drag almost. Yeah. And I'm like, that's when you know it's probably time. Um, 
there's so many other things that I wanted to achieve in my life, but also I was finding it super frustrating that my body couldn't do my, what my mind wanted it to. Yeah. I was almost torturing myself because I was still, every race till the day I retired, I was like, you are going to win this race. Yeah. Like I'm going to will myself to win this race. Yeah. And I'm willing myself <laughs> as much as I can. And my body's just like breaking down like hips, back, shoulders. Yeah. And, uh, it's just annoying as a swimmer because it happens so early. Yeah, only 27. 27. Far out. And like if I was in other sports, I could probably still be going now. You're hitting your peak. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, for a lot of physical stuff, like I am hitting my peak now. But for swimming, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. And you know, as a, as a man, as almost each year you put on like a kilo and it's not – I don't know what it is. It's just like thickening with age, yeah, for lack of a better word. True, true. You just get a bit bigger each year, which like slows you down a bit in swimming. Yeah. And like I was just getting to that age where I was like, I'm too old for swimming. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, what, a, what an incredible run. Um, ask all the boys this, favourite rapper of all time? 50 Cent. Yep. Yeah. Favourite movie of all time? Super bad. Smart. <laughs> Great answer. I saw something came out the other day and they're like, I think it was Boss Hunting did a top 10 funniest movies super bad was like fifth i was like i was outraged what was number one <laughs> oh da, 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 da. hangover first one hangover number one is really good i can cop that i mean happy gilmore when it came out was fucking. oh yeah that's elite. that's top three for me yeah that was outrageous. like that's when it came three. out the comedy isn't as funny now that i'm older but you know what was like number out. two bruce almighty no like, funnier than super bad no like way. leave or me Step right Brothers. Out. Or That's any, good. Step Brothers is good. Any of the Will Ferrell movies? Probably my top three would be uh, Super Bad, Step Brothers, and um, Happy Gilmore. I loved Happy Mate, Gilmore. Happy Gilmore was all time. But Step Brothers, like, it holds up. Uh, sorry, not Step Brothers. Um, Super Bad holds up. Yeah. I still get a giggle out of stuff. Like, it's, it's funny stuff. McLovin is still funny. And it just reminds me so much of my teenage years. Like, those awkward uh -huh. male teenage yeah. years where yep. you just think you're a <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> Bro, thank you so much for coming on. What an incredible uh, career and journey. And obviously, I'll, I'll see you at work, bro. I'll yeah, see you at work. See you at work. <laughs> <laughs> Boom.